you know, I was I was jogging in New York and I was going extra far and I thought I'm going to go seven miles. So I was out at three and a half, uh, 3.25 miles or almost. And I thought I'm going to go to three and a half. So I went to three and a half, turned and came back. And I did. I was thinking, why am I doing so good? This is really good. I turned around. It was a real strong wind to my back. <laughs> and I it just felt good. And I turned around and went for three and a half miles and I'm like dear Jesus so I got halfway back and I was thinking I'm going to run into a wall here soon and and wear out people that run know what I mean and 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 the Lord started to talk to me about scriptures and the blood and connect things and it was like I didn't even know the wind was blowing I was just like and I was just really going so maybe I would have ran hard enough to shake the ground was my point so because when that stuff happens, that's, it just gets you fired up. You feel like a Rocky movie, you know? You're like... Doo, 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 doo. Yeah, yeah. So, amen. So, yeah, ran really hard. I had two kids the next day. I was going to run far again, and they were trying to stay out in front of me on their skateboards. I thought, bless their hearts. They were about 11 and 13. They were going at it, but I run a pretty good pace. So one, he kicked his board out. And, couldn't recover and I passed him and was laughing we were trying to talk it was a fun time so yeah but that was right while I was jogging I come home Kim said the couch was like she thought it was her she thought it was my body flipping out she thought she was like in tremors or something in her body so she stood up off the couch and said and sat back down and it was over and then she found out what happened so I didn't notice a thing good deal you guys ready Thanks for yesterday. Pastor Don shared yesterday. So I called him. I just asked him. I, I just felt a little uh, boxed in and I had so much going on. I got back late Sunday, shot in here yesterday or Monday. And then my, well, my little grandbaby was, or, well, she's just five and a half now. She's not a little, to me, she's my little grandbaby. She came over late on Monday, 9.30. And I, I, I just called him. Just said if there's any way. That way I didn't have to come in. I could just stay with her. And hadn't seen her for about 10 days. I actually didn't see my wife for 24 days. So it just seemed good to stay home. So thanks for giving me that grace, even though we didn't take a survey or ask you. <laughs> but thanks anyway. So uh, it was just one of them days it seemed right to stay home. So I stayed home. So thank you and bless you. Okay, uh, I don't know what he talked about yesterday, but I was somewhere on Monday kind of trying to get somewhere, and we were just kind of getting there, and I said, maybe tomorrow we'll just keep going, and I feel like that's good. And let's talk about touching and loving people. So uh, I'm really, uh, you know, we kind of led to this point. If you look at it, we talk about identity, talk about becoming love, really talked about healing in this school. There's some other things we're going to touch before we wrap the school up. There's a... There's a uh, a day I want to take, baptism of the Holy Spirit and the difference between when you get born again and a well springing up into everlasting life and a river flowing out of you. And there's a lot of scripture that make you see there's two different experiences. Jesus breathes, be filled with Holy Spirit. But then he says, tarry in the city till the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, I thought you just breathed on us and gave us Holy Spirit. So there's things that people don't understand scripturally that have a lot of questions. A lot of people say, well, you get the Holy Spirit when you're saved. Well, your spirit gets reborn and recreated. But there is an endowment with power and there is a fellowship and baptism of Holy Spirit. The person of Holy Spirit that I want to talk about before the school's out. 
And hopefully, Grace, just to, who's intercessor here? Who, who believes you have intercession in you? You intercede, you pray, you, okay, because prayer is prayer, but there's a place for intercession where you understand it, and I really wanted to talk about that a little bit, and we'll see if there's grace to do that, but there's a, I, I led intercession for a while, just Martha remembers those days we would pray, and, and, and remember Holy Spirit bumping me into a lot of things, meeting a lot of people that intercede, went, went to a lot of prayer stuff, and uh, I believe there's a real healthy intercession, and then I've seen some real unhealthy unhealthy intercession where people are carrying the burden of the Lord in a way where they're burdened and, <laughs> and crushed and, and, and there's just some stuff we'll talk about there maybe before the school's out and then I think next week next week's the last week yeah. oh my goodness things go quick we've been together that many times but I think Sue's going to have like two days of just questions and answers and stuff. Hopefully answers. <laughs> Definitely questions. <laughs> questions and try to answer for a couple days just to end on a note of understanding. Okay? So good deal. So that's where we're at. But uh, let me just... Uh, Luke 10. Luke 10 we, we talked about before. Why don't we just turn there? I want you to see something. It's, it's just a big deal. I could take you to a lot of places. There's a reason I'm taking you to Luke 10. I could take you to Matthew, Mark, several of the commissions, and they all, who would agree that, that the commissions talk about getting outside yourself and giving someone something that's in you? Giving something away. Addressing people, touching people, giving them something called the kingdom. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay, even in Matthew 9 at the end, it says he preached the kingdom and then healed everybody. Man, that's a good day. That'd be a good day, healing everybody. If you've noticed, the school and even me preaching the last probably two years, probably two years or more, the emphasis is in healing, even though healing is all part of uh, the finished work. The emphasis is purpose and, and, and getting in the right heart and, and, a, and a call to our Christian life. It's not just receiving something from God, but it's becoming something because of Him. Do you understand what I mean? Like a lot of times we think, do a healing crusade, just get everybody healed. My heart has shifted in the last few years in such a strong way. I want everybody healed. You, you guys know that. I, man, I want everybody healed. But, but what feels like it's risen above that just a little bit is the mandate of why we're alive. It's one thing to be healed. It's another thing to have strong God-given purpose in your life <laughs> and have a good reason for being healed instead of just having a good day. <laughs> I mean, I, I want everybody healed, honestly. But what seems like a higher mandate in my heart, it's probably been more than two years. It's probably been for a few years. But uh, in fact, like when I travel now, and I know this is only in the last two years when I travel, year and a half, Rarely do I end up talking about healing in the weekends when I'm at the churches, but a whole bunch of people get healed and it all kind of makes sense in the end. There's churches I go to that just ask for understanding in that area and will teach and it's just cool. But uh, really preaching why we're saved and becoming love is the mandate on my heart. And uh, what it's doing is, is really indescribable. Uh, the transformations, churches, pastors, the feedback. It's, it's really, you, you can't wrap your mind around it. It's just really a big deal. But, but healing is, is, 
It's all part of the covenant. We've been talking about it, the bread, the body, and, and the blood and the cup, right? And what the blood was shed to forgive the act of sin, the body paid a price to remove the effects of those sins. So healing is hugely, hugely, hugely a part, hugely a part of the will of God, okay? And it's important. I can't stress this strong enough this morning. It is so important that you personally settle in your heart forever the will of God to heal. Or you're just going to try to find it along the way and tap into it. You won't have the confidence of what you're going after. You're just hoping it happens. And it's going to put yourself in a place. It is so important to settle through Christ Jesus that it's God's will to heal. And that one phrase right there has caused so much animosity among us as Christians. We've built a lot of camps and separated ourselves over that one issue because people haven't been healed. You follow what I mean? So... It's so important to look at the life of Jesus as the will of God revealed like we taught the other week and come to a place in your heart where you know what, no matter what my experience, no matter where I've grown or haven't grown yet, it seems pretty clear to me from God's standpoint what he desires. And a lot of us think, well, if he desires, why doesn't he just do it? Well, it's because he gave the earth to the children of men and we're the body of Christ and he handed us the baton of the new covenant church told us to lay hands on the sick. He actually told us to forgive, lest they not be forgiven. That means we manifest his love and mercy and peace. So if our hearts get hard, how's the world going to know a loving God? If we get religious, how are they going to know spirit-led living? (laughs) Come on. How's the world going to see unless they see him through us? So we don't realize the honor of this thing, and we, if we're not careful, just turn it into some mysterious God in the clouds somewhere that's sovereignly working the order of the day. And I hope my cards favor today. It's not like that. The Christian life's not like that. We're in fellowship with God. We have communion with Him through Holy Spirit. We're to live by the Spirit. We're to know the truth so the truth makes us free and we're to walk in him. Amen? Amen. So it's just a big deal. You find it all through scripture. And somehow we've gotten away from that, kind of waylaid from that truth over the years to where whatever will be will be and it's got an administrative desk calling the shot. And he's handed us the kingdom. Okay? So it's just real important to keep this stuff in mind. Uh, it's real important to check into Matthew 17 now and then, and, and you could couple it with Mark 9, the boy and the, paraly- or the epileptic, and the, the disciples prayed and he wasn't healed, and what Jesus had to say about that, and the promise and that's attached to that. That's incentive to me personally as a Christian. Now that speaks to me, so we've covered all this in the school, so I'm just, I know there's some visitors, but, but uh, you guys have been online anyway, so, okay. But the Matthew 17, you guys know that. They, I brought him to disciples, he was not healed. And I took time in this class, and we went through all that, and I said, was it the will of God to heal the boy? And everybody emphatically sees yes. But was he healed when the disciples prayed? No. Oops. So we ought to look there and hear what Jesus had to say. Humble ourselves. Give ourselves to those truths. And realize there's things that go on in our mind. Our hearts seem to be, yeah, of course we want everybody healed. There's a place where we manifest the truth. We represent the kingdom. We actually, God flows through us with the answer. So we probably ought to be in agreement with the answer. We probably ought to be an ambassador 
When you're an ambassador, you represent fully that which you represent. You go on behalf of that thing completely. I mean, you go from America and you're an ambassador, you, you take the authority of America, you're treated as America. And you represent the heart of the nation when you're an ambassador. When you're an ambassador to Christ, uh, I know I took you to Luke 10. I'm just getting a little, I want you to see something here. Uh, Go to 2 Corinthians 5 with me. We were trying to preach in this on Monday, weren't we? I was in here on Monday. It looks so familiar. I was just here on Monday. Wasn't I here? I really was. When I got to the fuel in the tank and the thing, boom, 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 and I got, see, and then we were done. We never got the rest of the chapter finished because we got silly. No. (laughs) No, but Linda came up to me and shared a beautiful thing about the, uh, a concept about an umbilical cord and life flows from it and God never cuts that cord. Because we're never to live on our own and apart from Him. In real life where the umbilical cord gets cut and people go off and leave their mother and father, etc., etc., but you never leave God. So there's a spiritual umbilical cord that is always connected. And I like that when we're born. And that's the picture she got when I was sharing that, that that, that isn't a gas line. It's actually like an umbilical cord in real life and it never gets cut. Is that sweet or what? Miss Linda had that. <laughs> Come on. But do you know why God would give people, certain people, certain things like that? Because it means something to them and it, it, it strengthens them. It keeps them focused. It, gives them, it keeps them plugged in. So it's just good. It was really good. So, so I want you to see this because we are ambassadors. It actually uh, talks about that here. Watch this, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. That's that fuel in our tank we talked about Monday. Why does the love of Christ compel us? What, what's so compelling about the love of Christ? Because he judges something here. And it says we, we're to all. Who sees he's not just saying because I judge something. He says we judge something. So he's asking that this would be a corporate concept. Okay? He's saying, guys, you all, I want you all to have this same eye. I want you to see that the love of Christ is judging something here. That if one died, one, capital O, meaning Jesus. If one died for all, then all died. So we're not just waiting for men to repent so we can love them. When Christ died on the cross, we all died there with him. The price was paid. All men died. You still have to repent and, 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 and come into a place where you receive mercy. But the mercy of God is towards all men. It says in 1 John 2, He didn't just die for your sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the whole world is waiting, <laughs> if you will, without realizing it. God has the whole world in waiting to just be lavished with love and mercy. The price was already paid. It's to be stepped into. Understood? So he didn't just die for whose sins? Your sins. He died for the sins of the whole world. I shared that early in the class that that one scripture there is a good reason to have faith that the unbelievers can be healed because there's mercy over their sins. He died to forgive their sins. Jesus came and healed everybody and not one person was born again. They were all under the law of sin and death and sin conscious and there was no blood shed yet. And yet Jesus healed everyone. Why? Because mercy triumphed over judgment. Do you follow? 
Because people say uh, unbelievers and people that aren't saved can't get healed. Well, they came, he came to his own and they received him not in the, in the gospels. They, they, were, they were full of unbelief. They ultimately crucified him. You might be amazed, I can't prove this, but you might be amazed, I have this conviction in my own heart. It's a personal belief. It's not always safe to share that stuff, but I, I, I believe there's people that received from him that were so confused in the end and wondering what they received because they, even after he was healing, they were saying it was the devil working in a man. I'm not convinced there wasn't people that received healing yelling Barabbas because he healed thousands of people the way the Bible reads, thousands upon thousands. It says that if the books, if, the, if they were written one by one, the world wouldn't contain the books. If they were, and, I, and, I, and I've never understood totally what that means, but I believe it means the books that were in the world, the books of the world, wouldn't have been able to hold the one by one writings of what Jesus did in three years. So he probably healed a few people. If all the scrolls and scripts of the day wouldn't have been able to contain the testimonies, somebody got healed. Which, on the flip side, makes the ones that are recorded so precious to us because if there was that many, then the ones that God put in this book must be important and prevalent. It's the way I think. It's just good. So, but here's, here's the deal. Well, I was just saying, those people, all those people, no matter where their hearts were, no matter what they didn't understand, no matter how confused they were, no matter how covered with sin they were, were they all healed? That's a big deal. Why don't we talk about that? See, that's the will of God revealed because that was Jesus with zero insecurity, zero fear of man, zero identity crisis, zero self-consciousness. And we're called to live all those ways because we're called to die. So the Holy Spirit's teaching us what it means to live that way. So that's why we shouldn't get discouraged with this race. We ought to keep running it to reach the goal. But if we keep changing our belief system every time we bump into, right? Every time we bump into something that doesn't go our way, every time we bump into something that's unanswered seemingly in prayer, every time we bump into something that doesn't make sense, if we keep changing our belief system for 20 years, we could be grabbing for straws and never get established in the faith. And all we'll do is toss around thoughts for the rest of our Christian life. Instead of say, look, this is the way it has to be through Jesus. I'm not looking anywhere else. I'm going to get there because grace will take me there. I'm done changing my mind. I'm done living like the sea tossed by the wind. Because the Bible says you could ask, but then if you doubt in your heart, you're unstable. So what you're actually saying to the spirit world is, I really don't know whether I'm coming or going, but I have a heart for God. <laughs> That's not real healthy position. Because wind will come from all angles and toss you everywhere, you know? And you say, yeah, but I was confident until Millie died. Well, I thought I believed until Bobby didn't pull through. And then you will let those things be strong enough to bring change to us and will never be established. Look, we don't even have the answer to some of them. Who's ever been in a situation where you were sure you were believing? I know I was. And yet it still didn't happen. We can't let our surety, our emotion of being sure, rise above God's word in the life of Jesus already revealed. At some point, we have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
and say, listen, no matter how sure I seemed, there's a place for this to happen. And I always go back to this. If Jesus would have took them by the hand, it's settled. Everybody across the board would answer the same way. If Jesus just took them by the hand, what would have happened? If he had just said, get up, what would have happened? Across the board, undoubtedly, every Christian, even that don't believe in healing, every Christian that doesn't even believe in healing says across the board, if Jesus would have touched them, walked in the room and touched them, they'd have been healed. Because there's no other encounters in the Bible. When Jesus walked in the room and touched somebody, that's what happened every time. So even people that don't believe in healing will answer, they'd have been healed. And it's a good way to see it because then, well, where's Jesus live? And who are we? The body of And as I did, you'll do also if you believe. So why is this so difficult? It just boils down to we're, we're finding ourselves in belief. The things I do, you'll do also if you believe. So we have so many other angles coming at us that are trying to keep our belief system from ever getting locked in. That's unchangeable, unmovable, unshakable because it's already written. The book's already written. I'm not trying to write a book. It's already written. You follow me? So I have to understand this, that if one died, all died. If one died, all died. Now there's a, there's a great powerful point here that Paul's making because some of us, our whole life, we can relate to this. First impressions, Deciding whether we like a person or not. We look at outward behavior and determine a person by their outward actions. We judge books by their cover. And then we, I'm just going to talk plain, in selfishness and pride, in my own preference, choose whether I like a person or not. Whether a person's worthy or not or deserving of my time, attention, or whatever. And the bottom line is, Christ already died for them. And when he died, they died in the sight of God. And there's provision for their salvation waiting. And we've got to be Christ-like enough to see past weaknesses, failures, faults, and flaws. And know there's something more to a person than what they're conveying. And that blood was already shed for that person. See, if you get that drilled in you, it's not hard to reach out beyond yourself because everybody was worthy to God to be paid for. Everybody carries the same weight and value. There's no high place or low place. Everybody has the value for righteousness in the sight of God. There's, everyone's equal. How's that? There's no hot shot, no low life in the kingdom. Everyone has equal value. Every single one of us was worthy of the blood. And God says there's no partiality with him. So he doesn't, he doesn't want to save Patty more than Jennifer. He wants them both in his house. But I would really want to save you if I was God. Because <laughs> we love you. We wouldn't want you lost, Patty. <laughs> so so who, sees, who sees we get sentimental? Who sees that we have stronger feelings towards some than others? It's totally flesh, and I don't want that in my life. I ask God to not let that be in my life, to strip me of that vulnerability. Honestly, because we get biased then. We'll, we'll show people 
certain favor because of how we feel towards them and somebody else does something way less and they don't even get an ounce of the favor this person's getting because we say, well, they're my best friend or I like them more. And if we have the ability to live that way, we're not going to see the value of everyone when we're outside because we don't even have relationship with them. But God's known them from the beginning. Are you all following the point I'm trying to make here? Because a lot of people say, well, it's all relational, it's all relational. Well, I understand relation and relationships are important and they seem to be lacking sometimes. But I don't need to have relationship with somebody to love them. I need Jesus in my life to love them. Because the love of Christ is compelling me. Because I judge something. Right? Remember how I told you a little testimony Monday of the waitress who couldn't even try to smile? In the former way we thought, she's a waitress, couldn't even try to smile. We could sit there and have a rap sheet against her and have her so judged and wonder why she's even waitressing. Get a grip, honey. Get another job. You ain't cut out for this. I don't care what's going on in your life. You can't be bringing your stuff into the restaurant waiting on tables. That's how people think. Christians can think that way and then they slide a track under the cup instead of blessing her. Man, you need to get saved, girl. Why? Because it, but they don't understand. She's got so much pain in her body she can hardly work. She just found out she has liver disease and who knows what else is going on. And it's to have mercy and compassion and realizing there has to be a reason she's so forlorn. We just judge the fact that she is. And I promise you, Jesus never, ever, ever does that. So if I even would find the tendency of that in my life, it would put the fear of God in me. I would get alone when you're not looking, and I would say, Jesus, I can't have that in my heart. You never see a person that way. I don't ever want to see a person that way. Thank you for changing my eyes, imparting truth, and causing me to love like you love. That's how you change, through prayer, through giving. When you see this stuff in your life, you don't get bummed out, condemned, and confess it to a friend as if it's you. You go, whoa, that is so not the heart of God in me. That is so not my creative value. That is so not the way you are. Then it can't be the way I am. And you run to prayer, and you declare that stuff, and you thank God for grace that's changing you. So you don't get presumptuous and first impressions. Because everybody's worth the blood. Isn't that amazing? get that in you. Everybody's worth the blood. Do you know that Jesus was hanging on the cross as much for the Pharisees that he strongly reprimanded in Matthew 23 as he was for everybody else? Mm -hmm. He was hanging on that cross as much for them as he was for his own disciples and for his mother Mary and Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. He was hanging on the cross for every man just as much as the other man. Don't forget that. It's important to know that or you play favorites in life and Yes, you know. <clears throat> it's just, it's just, it's, it's kind of a paradox because people say, well, yeah, but he had, he had Peter, James, and John. They're always alone. Well, that's leadership. Impartate. There's other, there's, it doesn't mean they were more special to Jesus that he loved them more than any other man. That's where we get in trouble and that's where hurt and offense and clicks and all that stuff happens in life. It's horrible, horrible. And when have you ever seen those scenarios produce life? They usually cause heartbreak down the road, offense, hurt, whatever. And it's not wrong to have what you call a best friend. There's people you can fight in. There's people you've learned to trust. I understand that. But just understand that the person that's not serving Jesus has as much value to God as your best friend. 
Don't you forget that. There would be another good one if we could just grab it. I don't even know how to dare touch it because I don't feel like we're even close on this one. But uh, everybody else's child is just as important as your child. And that one's very not understood on the earth in the church. We covet our children like I've never seen. And, 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 and your, everybody's child is just as precious. So I, well, I'm going to leave that one alone for now. But it's just true. Okay. If one died, then how many died? And if he died for all, oh my. And he died for all, here's purpose. And he, di- well, why would he die for all? Why would he do that? Why would he die for me? Whoever thought that before? Whoever thought, why would he die for me, right? Right? Watch. And he died for all that. This is purpose. So that he's revealing the intention of God. So that those who live. So we find out that he died so we can live. But not just live. That's not the whole story. Because we always say he died so we can live. But it's deeper. Why? For those who live should no longer live for themselves. Oh, but for him who died for them and rose again. There was a season, a lot of them teachings on neck ministries where I was teaching healing all the time because I realized uh, there was some things coming alive in my heart. I was seeing a lot of fruit wasn't seeing as much fruit as I know I can see, but I was seeing enough to know that I was on track. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The people that were contesting what I was preaching never saw anybody healed in their life. And that's why they were contesting, because they were defending their experience. <laughs> it's just true. They were defending their experience, keeping themselves in that place where they have a theology that writes it off, assuring that they're not going to see much. You see what I mean? Right. It's serious. Yeah. And what I have found, for what this is worth, Randy Clark, I so respect Randy. Uh, he's just such a humble guy. He has an ability to address this stuff too. And, and uh, I, I, I'm very passionate about some of this stuff. Uh, but I, I remember him saying in a conference, and I was like, oh my gosh, Randy said, it actually was helpful that Randy said it because I always think it. And it blessed me. It kind of encouraged me in a way where I knew I wasn't being presumptuous. But he had said in a big conference, and Randy's international. A lot of people know and love Randy and hear Randy. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that disagree with Randy like every other situation. But he said very plainly, he said, one thing I've noticed, the people that believe what I'm preaching to you right now see a whole lot more healings and miracles than the people that contend and contest against it. And he said, I don't believe that's an accident. It's because we're on the right track. Because what, what you redu- get reduced to, if you don't settle on the will of God, what you get reduced to is pointing out and exploiting everything that doesn't happen. And lose the ability to rejoice in what is happening. In other words, when it does happen, well, God just willed that. God just intended that. But, and the but becomes stronger than the yay for God. You follow me? And all of a sudden, you got this big case of all the things that haven't happened. Be very careful not let your heart slide in there. That's why it's important to just settle on the will of God and we're growing up into it. 
Just, just settle. It's not a hard thing if you look at the word. It's the will of God to heal. Every promise is yes and amen through Christ. We have the green light to go. He told us freely you've received. We've received what? The kingdom. And in the kingdom is healing. We've proved that. Scripture after scripture. So let's just grow up into it. Let's not stay as babes. Let's grow. Let's not keep repeating the elementary principles of the Christian life. Let's grow up and mature. Yes. Yes. Isn't that in your Bible? Yes. <laughs> Let's stop rehashing the things we ought to know by now is what Paul's actually, well, whoever wrote Hebrews is saying. You follow me? So we've got to really just get in on this thing and believe. Now watch. He died for all that those who should live, uh, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but him who died and rose again. Therefore, I love this. Therefore, from now on, from now on, from this day on, Because of this one truth, this one truth empowers me from now on to live this way. Watch. From now on, because of this one truth, I regard no one according to the flesh. I'll weigh no man outwardly. I'll judge no book by its cover. I'll see every man for his potential, his destiny. Who has some other translations on that out there? It says, I'll regard no man. Yeah, go ahead, Lynn. Um, from a worldly point of view. That's good. I like that. Anybody else have a different phrase or something that brings enlightenment to what we're saying here? I think we got it, but I'm just curious sometimes what's out there in translations. Look, therefore, from now on, this one truth, look how powerful the gospel is. See how truth make you free? Once you see this one truth, it should from now on cause us to look at no one through a worldly view. Why? Because anything less would be presumptuous and proud. In other words, you're willing for God to see you sanctified and separate from your sins, but you're not willing to see the rest of the world that way. (laughs) Hello? Come on. What are we doing? We're, we're, We're trying to believe that God sees us this way, but we don't want to put on his glasses. You know how kids like to put on their parents' glasses, you know, and they're, they're big on them, you know. Get them on there. Don't cover your eyes. Get his glasses on. He looks through righteousness. He looks through mercy. He looks through love and truth. So we want God to, we're trying to believe that God sees us in this great merciful way. And God's trying to say, hello, I don't just want you to know that I see you that way. I want you to see that way. Because that's what brings hope. That's what brings life. That's what brings change. Come on, we can go out into the world and tell everybody how messed up they are. Some people actually already know it, but don't know how to change. Some of them already know they're messing up and don't know the answer. They need to see, when when God heals somebody on the street that knows their life is a mess, you ought to see how that humbles them and how that takes effect on their heart. It doesn't enable them to stay sinners and say, oh, well, God's just going to love me anyway, praise the Lord. I've seen it bring so much conviction, it's amazing. Todd, we were there in New York, and Todd went over to a gym across the street of the hotel because the one we were in didn't really have much stuff in there, and the machinery he wanted to use, he felt like he was going to break it. And he, because he works out pretty hard on an elliptical, and it just didn't seem like it was cut out for the workout so he he got on it and it just kind of shook around and he said so he found a gym across the street over there he said man there's a gym there so he went in and paid a daily little daily fee and he got talking to the lady and she's the owner and he said hey you're the owner and and she's cursing i mean she's like throwing 
four-letter bombs out there while she's talking. And, 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 and he's like, whoa, you know, bless her heart. And, and he got a word for her about her, her body and about sleep. And, and she's like, how in the bleep? And, and, you know. So he prays for her, and he leaves. The next day, he goes back in to work out early before conference, and she comes walking over and says, sir, I don't know how much time you have, but we really need to talk. She pulled him aside, sat down, talked for 40 minutes, and asked him all kinds of questions. How can this be? How can you hear God? How could you know that about me? How, I don't even, I would have said, I don't even know if I believe God, and da, 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 but obviously you know him. And then he got to share the gospel and the beauty of the blood of Christ and the cross. And it's not just a, a story that points out you're bad. That's right. And you do bad things and you shouldn't. That's how most people see the gospel. They run from the gospel because they think the gospel's just saying you're bad and you shouldn't be. You need to change. And that's how a lot of people convey the gospel. Well, Todd just went in there. Isn't it amazing how Holy Spirit wasn't repulsed by her language? That impresses me. Isn't it amazing how Todd's spirit didn't go, Oh, 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 you just so grieve the spirit of the Lord. You know, I've had, I've had people in church try to say that was Holy Spirit grieving. I mean, how many leaders have been approached with the whole grieving of the Holy Spirit thing? You just grieve, and they cry all day in a corner. Holy Spirit is not crying all day in a corner holding his belly. He's a whole lot bigger than that. <laughs> but I'm just carrying the grief of the Lord. No, it's your own soul grieving. God isn't wrecking you all day like that. You say, oh, I'm interceding. We'll talk about that before the school's out now. I opened the door. God's a God of hope. He speaks life. He's not wrecking you to where you can't function. Stuff might come on you for a season, and you might intercede and and catch a heart cry of God and proclaim life and truth, but it's not so you get incapacitated, grow up in a corner and can't function, or see the church clear. Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody's religious. And all of a sudden, you're sanctified and in your only little place. And everybody else is missing it. That's where it leads. Now you can't even sit in church because everybody's so off track. Because I have an in with God and he showed me. And then that belief system gets in your soul. And then you can, it's your filter. And now, instead of hearing for the voice of God, you're hearing through critical ears. And now you're hearing what could have been said better, what could have been said right, what shouldn't have been said at all, instead of what is God saying. And and I scratched it a little bit. To be continued, that one, I'm not going to pull back. (laughs) Whoa, boy. (laughs) I've I've just seen it too much, man. I, I know good friends that were in her see, I'm, no, I'm stopping. <laughs> Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one. From now what? Now on. You settle that in your heart. 
See, when you're reading your Bible and you bump into a scripture like this and it talks like that, your relationship with Jesus looks like this. Father, this is an amazing truth. It's what set me free. It's what caused me to see that my life was worthy, the fact that one died. Well, if you made me worthy through that one dying, you made every man worthy. Every man is waiting for your love. Every man is waiting for the ministry of your spirit, for the outpouring of mercy and for hope. And God, from now on, I'm going to regard no man. Father, I've been tended to in my life to this and to this. And you share all those things with the Lord and say, that is all a lie. From now on, I'm going to see him through you. And I thank you that grace is allowing me through the cross to see all men. That's prayer. That's communion with the Lord. That's faith toward him and grace toward you. And you're saved by grace through faith. The salvation of the Lord is found there. Not going to heaven, but the saving of your soul, the redeeming of your vision. You follow me? The lining up of your heart. Does this make sense? It's through communion and relationship. It's not because you read it and now you're more judged because now you got another dictate and a mandate to follow through with. Oh no, I can't look at anybody like I used to. That's dry and lame. That's not what he's calling you to. What he's calling you to is the heart of God. And the only way to receive the heart of God is to want it and be willing to die of everything that's not the heart of God and in a place of prayer, embrace him. Does that make sense? Because that's how this becomes your reality or in works and legalism, you're just trying to see people a certain way and you can't help but to see what's wrong. And then you feel condemned and now you're asking for prayer, pray for my eyes, I need spiritual vision. It happens by grace when you pray, when you get alone and you see this and you go, wow, from now on, watch how I am with myself. Let me just be personal with you on this. I would be sitting on my bed and the conviction that's in my heart right now God, I don't, man, I don't live by the flesh. I'm a spirit-led man. And I see that from now on, I have no other way out, no option. You set this thing so clear and so cut and so dry. This is a narrow door. And I thank you, it's the only way I can see. And Father, I agree with it. I don't want to see men's flaws and weaknesses. I don't want to have a reason to draw away and pull back from people. I thank you for love being built and established in my heart. And I thank you that I see what you see. That's how I pray when you're not around. Well, I pray that way when you are around too. But what I mean is when when I'm being personal. Because it says from now on, then I cut everything that would give me permission to be less in prayer. Everything, every reason. Well, yeah, but brother, nope, that's already cut. (laughs) Yeah, but wonder if they already cut. Because if you give that language permission in your mouth, you can be glad that language is in God's mouth or he'd have never sent his son. So that language should just get wiped out of your mouth. Finding a reason to have a reason. (laughs) No reason. Because if God had one, we wouldn't be here today. We'd be lost. And I want to follow him. His way is right and righteous. Amen? So watch this, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus thus no longer. I'm sure you could define that phrase a couple different ways, but one simple way for me that is clear, when, when Jesus was here, men judged him according to the flesh, and when they judged him according to the flesh, could they ever see who he really was? But now he rose from the dead, and the cat's out of the bag, and he's the Lord and Savior name above every name. So... You see what I mean? So we're not going to limit that now. When he was here, men were weighing him according to what? The flesh. flesh. Could they appreciate and see 
who he really was, even though he was manifesting the Spirit. They were still judging him according to the flesh. So it's just, it just feels good in my heart to leave you with that one right there. That you could, it just, now we know him that way no longer. Amen? Therefore, if anyone, wow, look how he, now that therefore. See all the therefores? There's, there's one right above it too. Therefore. So he's just going, bam, therefore, bam, therefore. <laughs> right? Oh, man, this is progressive. Therefore. So you see how he shares something really powerful and then ties us right to it? So he's just sharing the heart and intent of God, the finished work of Christ, and then, bam, therefore, if anyone. Who? Anyone. We're all in. Come on, this is so good. If anyone is in Christ, he is. That means you're not lacking anything right now. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, except we're growing up in understanding truth, but everything's here. He has given us the kingdom. If any man, what, is in Christ, he is a new, he's not becoming a new creation, he is. Watch, old things aren't kind of like slipping and pulling out of your life. Old things have passed. Boy, if we could just grab that. If we could just get like children and grab that by faith in the bedroom when nobody's around, in the car when you're driving to work. If you could just grab the fact that everything before Christ was the fall of man and it was a strategy to deceive my heart, blind my heart, get me to feel more sorry for myself, lose my identity, so that when the good news came, I couldn't see anything good about it. Or at best, it was just a security blanket or a rescue thing or... Are you kidding me? It's the truth about my life. The gospel's the truth about not just God and Christ. It's the truth about me. So it supersedes anything up to this point. It trashes everything up to this point. So it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I'm really tempted to go there. I'd get out of the camera view if I could. (laughs) I love you, Randy. Do you follow what I'm saying? Come on. If you're in Christ, you're what? Why? Because God's changed the view of life completely. He's totally 180'd your purpose, your motivation. He's defined why you're alive. And in the process, he's crushed everything that was before him. Because everything that was before him was under a lie. It was people living less than who they are. So how could they treat you for the truth? And we're still taking all that to heart and living in the pain of all that and trying to get God to God through all that. It doesn't say that old things are passing away. No. They already have. Now this revelation was in me from the beginning because I died to my life. I saw my own heart. I didn't make my salvation about you making things right and regrets and wishing so-and-so didn't do this and I wish they'd say they're sorry. Because even when they say they're sorry, the reality is they still did what they did and it still has a bite. And then you still wonder if they're really sorry or could they ever do it again or... Come on. We're trying to get people to make up for what can't be made up for. So let the truth come in and just set it all straight and put it in right perspective so these things push away. Come on, it's so simple. So old things aren't passing away. Well, I'm getting through stuff, brother. 
It has passed already. Old things, what? They have passed away. So it was very easy for me to, to not connect my dad being an alcoholic, just some other things from a very young age, like we all have stories. It became very easy in life in the city. It became very easy to see myself apart from that because I realized all of a sudden through the gospel, none of that's the truth about me. That was all trying to sculpt me and etch me, and the truth is God's my potter. That stuff was trying to tell me who I am and who I'm not. And the cross in Christ tells me who I am and who I'm not. So let's set that straight. Isn't that cool? Honestly, I I would love you to get confident enough to say, without being insensitive to people, so what does it matter what I've been through now that I see what he's been through with the cause? Why am I raising this above his finished work? (laughs) When the truth is in him. It would just do you good to embrace that. It's what puts life in your heart and you're not trying to get somewhere you already are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, but brother. You see how our minds are? Yeah, but... Because we're thinking our head's 10 mile ahead of our heart. We ought to listen to our heart and let our heart catch up and pass our head. <laughs> yeah, says, says, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Is that the book of James? Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. So many times we're complete opposite. We get riled up in feelings and let her fly and don't have any ears in the process. <laughs> Most of our lives, we've been real quick to speak, full of fury, frustration, and don't you try to tell me. Well, you don't know what I've been through. Yuck, 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 yuck. And, and then all of a sudden, your hearing ability is not even in the room. And you're not teachable at that point because of your belief system because you feel like you already know, but what you already know is keeping you bound. Who knows that what I'm saying is very true. And if you would just calm down and slow up and do this, God just might speak to you through his son and bring freedom that's to be. Amen? You know how good it would be for an individual to get alone in a room and read something like this? And especially if they don't feel free? Because you know how I feel about feelings. I, it's, I honestly believe, this sounds a little proud maybe, but I honestly believe Jesus feels the same way I do about feelings. Because I never can find in the Bible any scripture that tells you to live by how you feel. I can't find any strength of scripture that gives emotions and sentiments any kind of power. He doesn't accommodate him. He doesn't want you to. He doesn't boast in him. He doesn't elevate him. He tells you to live by faith, to live by truth. And the reason we have to live by faith is because we came sensually driven through the fall. We became sensual human beings instead of spirit human beings through the fall of man. Do you understand? We lived, every one of us before Christ, we lived by how we felt. How are you doing today? Oh man, I don't feel too good. Right? 
Yeah, yeah, they do, Miss Linda. Where somebody says they, they love you, and you're looking at them, and your feelings are trying to figure out every way they can't be telling the truth, because it's, I don't believe you do, and bless you, man of God. Do you see what I'm saying? So where does it tell you to live by your feelings and give them any weight and power? It doesn't. In fact, faith... Man, don't ever get frustrated or mad at faith. Faith is such a privilege because it teaches you to never live by how you feel and then you can be free. Because you always have the truth to hold on to and truth can begin to be the one that etches you and sculpts you and molds you. You continue in the word. You'll know the truth and the truth. Yeah, but I don't feel, doesn't matter. Yeah, but I don't feel like he loves me. Get alone and accept it. Get alone and thank him he does. Read every scripture that says he does and then hold his word high above your feelings. What are your feelings, Lord? I don't think so. Your feelings are a result of the fall if they're not in agreement with God. True? Well, I don't feel like old things passed away, brother. I remember them all the time, all the time. I remember my old things all the time. Well, that's okay. What? Yeah, nobody said you have to forget them. When you remember them, just start to put them in right perspective. Just thank God you're free now. Thank God that day is over, that you didn't just survive, you overcame. Christ is in you. You're not the product of childhood abuse. You're the product of your father touching you right. And he's put strength and ability in your life to even look back to this situation and see it for what it is and have a heart of mercy that people would change. How can they hurt you now? How can they touch you now? I know more about what I'm talking about than you probably realize. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, guess what he is? See, the worst thing we can do is compare and hash our stories and try to make yours more intense than mine or mine yours or yours than your neighbor's. Now you're boasting in your story, which isn't your story at all. Yeah, but I mean, I understand that, brother. But you don't know it was a whole lot worse with me growing up. So what are you saying? So what are you proving? What are you, they, they, they become human intellectual excuses to not believe and not that you're intending them to be. It's, it feels real, but in the light of the word, the word diffuses all that mentality. I've watched people compare their stories. And then when people try to minister, yeah, but you were never through this. Yeah, but did this ever happen to you? It's like they're wearing their heart story like a badge, like if it's them. Well, no, actually, I didn't have that. But if we look hard enough, I could probably find something that happened to me that didn't happen to you. What are we doing here? What's that all look like through the cross, through truth? What's it matter? What are you validating? Something that's destroying you? Come on. You follow? Man, it's good. So old things what? Are passing away? Have passed. Have passed. Ooh, you guys are on it. You some couple people are great. No, it has passed. It has passed, brother. <laughs> behold. I love when that word's stuck in there. You know what behold indicates? Just the power of God, the working of God. Behold. Right? I don't know. 
We were talking about that over the weekend. What are some of the old movies where they had to, we were, we were wishing, yeah, I Dream of Genie, and there was another one, that bewitched one. People get freaked out talking about this. It's like, oh my God. But we were thinking about, wouldn't it be awesome? We were talking about translating because we had a seven and a half hour drive. Whenever you have a seven hour drive, you start talking about translating. And we were like, wouldn't it be cool if we could just go, Jesus' name, and just be home? <laughs> Just thank you, Lord. This was fun. Hey, see you guys. Bless you. And we all disappear out of the parking lot. Oh, like, come on, Lord. Like, you hug your wife and you got your bag there and you hug her. I'll see you in a couple days. <laughs> oh. so, but, but that's kind of that word, behold. Behold. Because what? Something happened to your old. And the new. Whoop. Yeah. Right? No. But it doesn't come. It's not a mystical thing. It's not something that just boop. It, it comes through faith, through seeing what the cross is saying. That's right. Did you get that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By seeing what the cross is saying about you. That's right. And he's crying out, this is the truth about you. Oh. Why can't we let the one most amazing thing God did right trump everything that's ever been wrong and then live from there? Yeah, you get it? I know I'm going to do it. (laughs) And I'm going to compel everyone along the way the same. Now all things, so behold, all things are becoming new. So they have. So the kingdom's in you. So mercy is totally upon you. So it's you growing in these truths, but it's already here. Is the kingdom already in you? So we're coming to the knowledge of that truth as we continue in. The more we shift our beliefs and change our beliefs along the way, the the more we assure we'll never be established, rooted, and grounded. The Bible says, let your heart be established in the book of Timothy, because the coming of the Lord is near. What it means is, he's coming soon. You better settle on what you believe, because about the time he gets here, you're still trying to figure it out, and he's here. Do you get it? Let your heart be established. Be a good thought. All things have, have become new. Now all things... All things. Now all things. What a phrase. Remember 2 Peter? I tried to read 2 Peter on Monday a little bit. And I bolted out of there. But 2 Peter. No, we read the whole thing. We did because we talked about Peter being sure that we always have a reminder. Remember? So 2 Peter says that, that his precious... That, that we have great and precious promises uh, about his divine nature. But before that, it says that he, uh, we have all things through him, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Yes. So the all things, Peter defines the all things as life and godliness. Yes. It's awesome. So all things in the realm of life, meaning life from God. Now, all things are of who? See, you've got to see that in your Bible. This is not a wish list. This is what God did. This is what He wants you to be and wants you to have. Where did it come from? So the all things are from who? So He wants you 
in him. He wants you in Christ. He wants you free from yesterday. He wants you filled with today, uh, what's new today. He, he wants you carrying his kingdom. He wants you manifesting his heart. He created us this way. It's that way from the beginning. Why would it have changed? God doesn't change. We're the ambassadors of Christ. Watch this. Now all things are of God who has reconciled. Ooh, isn't that amazing? Are you reconciled? If you want to be, you are. <laughs> if you want to be, you are. <laughs> Do you get it? Is this too simple or is this okay? Do you want it simple? Because if it's not simple, it's not the gospel. You're in the way. You're thinking too hard. Because the child can get this thing. Just God's my friend. God's my father. God wants to be my dad. I could be a kid talking. God will always love me. God's always there. God will never go away. We ought to be that basic and simple. We're trying to be so deep. <laughs> Come on. He, he has. He is reconciling us or has he reconciled us? So it's not a process. A lot of people, when I preach, I'm so bam that they say, you know, well, you have to honor the process in people and stuff. And I'm thinking they, some of us are only in process because we're only allowing ourselves to see process. God doesn't even talk process. Do you find process in God's language? No. Then why are we defending process and holding it up all the time? I was asked once, are you sure you're not elevating your personal experience above the other people's process? As if it would be like everybody has to be like me. Oh, my goodness, to even think. I had one minister once say, well, you have to make sure you be careful that you're not just saying everybody needs to be like Dan. And I didn't cry. I could have because I thought, my God, I don't even think that way. But he had that concern. But I know in my own heart, I don't even think that way. I'm just excited about a gospel that saved my life. And when I look in the book, I see the language that I'm talking is I got it from him. He's not talking process. <laughs> so we call it sensitive to people. Wonder if we're accommodating unbelief. Well, you got to meet people where they're at. No, you got to meet people where God sees them. <laughs> You'd be so sensitive, you'll take three years and find yourself not... Nowhere. Because if you don't change the way you believe, oh my goodness. But do you hear God talk process? No. no, he has reconciled you. He's not reconciling you. He has. Who'd he do it through? Jesus Christ. You want to bring people say, well, I, want to, I just want to bring honor to Jesus. Then receive what he says. And say, thank you. You want to bring honor to Jesus? You're amazing. Oh my goodness, I'm not even going to say you shouldn't have. You should have because you made me wonderful in your sight from the beginning. I've had the potential and destiny of everlasting life. Thank you. Thank you for showing me the truth now. It's something you knew all along. I'm just seeing it, but wow. <laughs> Are you okay? See? He's done it. Don't cheat yourself and say you can't believe that. Because God's saying you have to. 
and I'm not saying have to in compulsion. What I'm saying is it's the just live by faith. In other words, you have to if you're ever going to live free from your feelings. When I say have to, it's not, I'm not saying that in a condemning mandate way. What I'm saying is it's the answer he's given us. Yeah, and it's what keeps you from being prey and subject to your feelings and emotions which led us astray our whole lives. Come on, you could just be in a marriage that's actually good. Yeah, I said that almost like <laughs> no marriage is or something. I said, you could be in a marriage that's actually good. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what? <laughs> it sounded that way, didn't it? You could actually be in a marriage that's good. That's not what I meant when I said that. What I'm trying to say is the marriage is actually good. And all of a sudden, a spouse, whether it be the man or the lady, believes something or sees something that they let their heart get a little hurt about with their spouse and they start believing it but they never talk about it. The spouse on the other end is clueless and what they're believing has no reality. It's, it's, not, re- it's not relevant. They don't even know what they're thinking and feeling and they didn't even do the thing. But this spouse is assuming it looked that way. It sounded that way. So they're assuming that, presuming that, taking it in their heart. Six months later, all your conversations, you're viewing your spouse. You're watching them in a room in a crowd. And it's amazing how that one little wrong belief becomes a filter on your eye. And now that belief gets so magnified by six months that you're sure they're every bit what you think. And they don't even know what's going on the whole time. That's why there's so much confusion in relationships and when it blows up and, the, uh, and they're, what are you talking about? You mean for months you've been sitting thinking, well, yeah, but, but way back with you, way back, you said this. I don't even know what you're talking. Well, you see, you're always denying. You just don't want to take responsibility. <laughs> and now we have irreconcilable differences. It's wrong believing. Do you think Satan's aware of these strategies and tactics? Do you think he might be behind any of them? Do you think he'd like them in your Christian life concerning spiritual things? (laughs) Okay. Do you see how powerful the love of God is that he has every reason to be in that position towards us and can't be because of love? That thing I just described? He could have all those things and be right, not presumptuous. And still he's not. Why? Because he's love. Do you see how powerful love is? Do you see why we're to become love? Because love believes the best. Doesn't it? Takes no account of a suffered wrong. Why? Because love doesn't seek its own. It's not living for itself. It's living for others. It's living for the image of God. It's living for his glory. It's living for people. Oh, come on, God. Make us love, right? Do we have the capacity to love in our spirit? Truly, because it's all ours. It's all here. So we've been reconciled. He's not reconciling. We've been reconciled through Jesus And, oh my goodness, watch this. And he has given us. Look what he's given us. 
See, we're Christians for such a strong purpose. We're not just a Christian to receive blessing from the Lord. We're not just a Christian to even be healed. We're not just a Christian just to go to heaven, just to have a better day. He's actually given us the ministry. of You, he, you all have a ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Bringing people back to God. Showing people that God wants them reconciled. You're not going to do that by trying to change what's wrong in their life. You're going to do that through love. The same way, why do we think we're going to do it a different way than God did it? (laughs) So how many did he heal on the streets? Everybody that ever asked him and everybody he ever pursued, right? Without exception, true? Did he ever even one time indicate anything else? You know why? Because then you'd never be able to believe. Did he give you one other expression than yes and amen? His whole life and ministry. Did he? Did he ever tell someone, I, 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 I would love to. I can see you're really in a lot of pain. But you know God is working sovereignly through this to build some things that are lacking in your life. And you need to bear with it and hold on. But I'd love to. It's just not God's will to do it. Or God's timing. Did you ever hear God say that? The only time that he actually said something to a Syrophoenician lady, he said it's not good to give the children's bread to their dogs. And there was a timing factor seemingly in that because he hadn't died yet and he was first to the children of Israel, the house of the Jews. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she honored the Jewish nation and heritage. She honored him as Lord. But here's what she was really saying. She was really saying, I understand that, Lord, but I believe you love my daughter. That's really what he was saying. She was saying, I believe you're the Christ and you love the whole world. Because he just said, oh, woman, you're amazing. (laughs) Just go, your daughter's fine. It really excited Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, you get a Matthew video of the visual Bible in Matthew, and you watch that lady come and run down the road. See, I'll get crying. I can see her now coming down that stone road running in her long Syrophoenician dress. Dark skin, dark hair blowing. She's crying out. He's just ignoring like, that's what it looks like. He's not listening. Well, that right there would be enough to get you to go home with your tail between your legs. Well, God doesn't love me. The disciples came and said, Lord, this woman keeps crying after us. On the Matthew video, he goes, like, stop, Peter. Just chill. He's like, woman keeps crying. Should we send her away? He's like, stop. And she runs up and she slides in the dirt and stones and grabs his robe. Lord, have mercy on me. I've been there. Yeah. And he turns to look at her, and as he's talking, she lifts her head, and he turns his head this way. And then he says, it's not good to give the children bread to, and and it's this word for word scripture, but they're acting this thing out, and it's just, it melts me. And, And she looks up and says that just wonderful phrase about the crumbs in the master's table, and Jesus is standing there, and he went, woman. 
<laughs> Great is your faith. <laughs> you know, there's two times Jesus marveled, marveled, the word marveled in the Bible, two times. When his own church had no faith, his own people didn't believe, when Gentile outside of the church believed more than the church could believe. It made Jesus marvel when his own people didn't believe, and when somebody outside of the circle actually had faith, he was like, wow. That's just neat. This is something to think about. So I just don't want that to be on that side of marveling. <laughs> How is it you just can't believe, Dan? <laughs> I'm so amazed. <laughs> I don't want that testimony. <laughs> okay. Let me try to get through this to the break. So he has given. He isn't giving. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, watch, now he's going to explain your ministry. He's writing your ministry down for you. (laughs) There's a couple places God shares your calling in ministry in the Bible. Everybody's searching for their ministry and their calling, and it's pretty clear in the Bible. One is you were called to do good and suffer for it. See, we don't like them kind of callings. Well, love understands that. That's not a bad calling. That's an amazing calling because it'll transform the world when you suffer for doing good and don't let yourself change. But here's a ministry that you've been given. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. That is, here's your job description, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself How was he reconciling the world to himself? Not Not imputing their trespasses to them. So he didn't come to give them what they deserve. He came that they might be saved. So he wasn't coming to point out their sin and judge them according to sin. He was coming to save them from their sin. So he wasn't coming imputing their sin. So he came in a heart of mercy and this sentence here reveals why everybody was healed. Why was everybody healed? Because they weren't seen for what? Their sins. Right, Mandy? They weren't seen for their sins. They were seen for what? God's love. Remember the paralytic? Take heart, son. Your sins are... And what was their immediate rebuttal in their mind? Who is this man to forgive sins? It's God that forgives sins. Who's he thinking? What a heretic. What a blasphemer. I'm going to kill him. He, knowing their thoughts, says, guys, why do you think like you think? The Bible tells you to forgive sins. Isn't that amazing? The Bible tells you that if you forgive the sins of any, they shall be forgiven. That means if you walk in mercy, if you walk in truth, there is a grace, there is a manifestation of God that comes upon the situation that reveals forgiveness and mercy. If you see a situation and account people for sins, are you going to minister the love of God? This is just a big deal. Look, he, de- he defines how he reconciles the world to himself. That doesn't mean we're, we're being flagrant and, 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 and ignoring sin and sinfulness. We're not letting it identify men. We're seeing men for calling, for purpose. We're not judging according to the flesh. It's right in this chapter. That doesn't mean we're 
What sin? Oh, it doesn't mean that we're accommodating sin as if it's not a problem. But sin isn't our target. God's love towards them is our target. Are you following me? The reconciliation, the heart of God for reconciliation, that's our motivation. You'll find that once you move in that, in any level, that healing, encouraging, blessing, just no strings, generosity, will engage you with people in a capacity where all of a sudden the things that aren't of God or the things that need to be refined or changed in their life come up in conversation. You'd be amazed how they'll bring them up. Mm-hmm. You following? There's sometimes you'll actually get to say to people and they'll be touched and you can see they're touched and they're taken back and you'll say, isn't that amazing? You weren't thinking of God at all today, were you? No, but he loves you. He's always thinking about you. His mercy is amazing. That's what saved my life. God's goodness. I never realized he was so incredible. I thought he's just some man with a big stick and a bad expression on his face. He's longing to love you like this today. You just sew that into people. (laughs) Now they got to deal with that. Uh Now they either got to try to run from that or be changed by that. But that's the working of Holy Spirit. My job is never, and I say this over and over again, and I'm not even looking for agreement. It's my conviction. My goal is never to get men to pray a prayer to go to heaven or what we call to get men saved. My goal is to love them as sincerely and purely as possible and give them an encounter with God. And in some of those cases, I'll find myself reaping where I haven't sown. I might have just watered and reaped. Some cases, I might for the very first time be sowing into their life. I might be watering something you sowed. But somewhere the blade's going to shoot up and then the grain and then the harvest. You follow me? I'm going to touch people wrong and miss their value if my agenda and goal is as Christian as it sounds to get everyone saved. Rah, rah, get everyone saved. I'm going to miss the value of the people in the process. I'm just trying to get everyone saved. Get them, you know, get them, and then I'll be like, well, fine, you don't want saved. And I've seen evangelistic, people that call themselves evangelistic-natured people have just as hard a heart towards certain people as a lot of them, just as hard towards people, where they feel like they have to go out and contest people. (laughs) When when you got a lady walking up to you that owns a gym and she's, throwing some four-letter bombers out there at you and talking and she's got a rough edge to her. Boy, it would be sure good not to look at her face value or you're either intimidated, hopeless, or oh, you poor thing and you do your work out and leave. Or your heart goes, oh, you just don't know. And then all of a sudden knowledge comes. Where's sickness, word of knowledge, bam. Hey, are you going through this and stuff and this and at nighttime this? See, that lady said, for the first time she can remember, she slept all night. She woke up and had zero pain. And all she could think about is this long, dreaded, haired guy <laughs> that came up to her and told her about herself. Amen. And she came, when she saw him again, she came over. He said she was just, she was captured and wanted to know how he can hear God. And she said it in a very impersonal way, God. And he's like, well, he lives inside of me. What do you mean? Shares the whole gospel with her. Isn't that cool? 
Tia, why, why did God touch her and why was he able to have that kind of ministry and move? Because his heart is to reconcile the world to God by not imputing their trespasses. Well, sweetheart, you know, you might have a little sense of God in your life if you clean up your language. I mean, come on. It's one thing for guys to talk that way. You're a nice-looking lady. Why would you talk filthy like that? Why don't you change your mouth? Why do you think God would touch you and help you and bless you when you're not even living anywhere near Him? There's a mentality out there called the church. It's not the church. It's not the heart of God. (laughs) I like Todd, because that's the kind of person he zeroes in on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does. The rougher they are, the more he's listening and looking. <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. he, uh, he was in the mall. He was, he was in a store, and something happened. He was with a couple people, and he turned, and they got talking to this lady. And she... He said, do you got this and that? And this? She said, yeah, I really do. Oh, my God, are you psychic? And he said, no, Jesus lives inside of me, and he loves you. And the guy's standing there, and uh, he's just looking. He said, I want to uh, pray for you. Let me see your hand. I want to see your hand. I'm going to pray for you. She said, he does this stuff all the time, but it's not working. He was a second-level Reiki guy or whatever, And he was trying some other stuff, but he was trying to do energy stuff and trying to heal her. So she said, right before, he tries to do this kind of stuff to me, but nothing's working. He said, well, how about if we just do Jesus? So he takes her hand and prays. She's completely healed and freaked out. So the guy's like, what is this you just did here? What did you just do? And then he's telling him about his level and mastery of the Reiki thing and and Todd says, it's just Jesus, man. He's greater than anything. Jesus is the way to go. And he began to preach the gospel to him. We were leaving. We had to hit the road and we stopped somewhere to eat. Here, this guy, the Reiki guy that was the, confessed to be the Reiki guy, he was bussing the tables. And he saw Todd and he said, hey. And we were like miles away. But he said, hey, it's you again. Todd said, hey, man. Bless you. Come on, give me some loving. I want to. I want to hug. And guys, guys, he's squeezing. He's hugging him. And, and uh, he said, "Yeah." He said, "We just stopped to eat. We're heading home now." Man, I'm glad I met you. Have a good day. He said, "Man, I'm amazed. I bumped into you here." He said, "Yeah." Well, bless you, man. He, shot. he said, "That was the. That was the guy." I said, "Oh my goodness!" It was just like a little, kind of a little kiss on the cheek before we left town. It was just a little. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was just fun to me. Now that sure beats. Woo, Reiki guy. Whoa, <laughs> repent or I can't hug you. Yeah, I like Come on. Yes. Who's been taught with that mentality oh, that you yeah. got to stay a million miles from that man oh, yeah. until Jesus deals with him? Right. Well, Jesus is in you and Jesus wants to love him through you. He's not waiting to deal with him except through you. Yeah, right. Amen. Okay. I, I, do you have an announcement or something? Okay. I'm going to close here. I, I just want you to see this because I'm at the last verse. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. How? Not imputing their trespasses. Whoa. For God so loved the world, he, his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not, but have 
For God did not send his son into the world to... That means to judge or give the world what it deserves. But that through him the world might be... Sozoed, saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, kept safe and sound. Wow. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So he's given us the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation through the fact that God loves people. Now then, oh, we are ambassadors. So we're completely representing this heart and this love on behalf of God. Watch. Now then, we are ambassadors for... So we're not just Christians that go to church and serve in a ministry within that church. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. And it's as though God were pleading through us. (laughs) We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's talking to Christians. Now watch. He's telling us this is our ministry. We're to walk this way and live this way. Watch. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You're fully equipped to go and do that right now. It's not a process. Amen? Do you see your calling? Do you see your ministry? It's through love, not imputing people's sins. So I want to talk about that just a little more after the break on just loving people and encountering people and that kind of thing. We'll take some questions, too. Yeah, I just want to give you an update on Sharon. Pastor Don stopped in a little while ago. Um, most of you know Sharon was taken to the hospital on um, Monday. She had some irregular heartbeat, some racing going on. And they ran some tests. They did some kind of procedure, and everything is regulated. She should be released anytime, sometime today. So that's good news. Um, one more thing. We have a guest with us that's been here a few times. It's Jeanette's daughter, Jenna. And she has some broken bones in her, in her hand and maybe her wrist. But you'll, you'll see she has a cast on. I'd just like to ask a few of the students to go and believe for the mending of those bones. And, yeah, and, uh, like right her. now mending. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Somebody love on her. Break, you don't have to. You could do that. Like twenty of you don't have to smother her. Just just a couple girls just love on her that have faith for that. We we're in West Virginia. A lady had seven breaks in her leg. God mended her bones on the spot. She was supposed to wear this thing for eleven weeks. She took it off on her own. I didn't ask her to. I even made sure she wasn't being compelled to do that by the people. She said, "Oh no, God mended my bones." The next day, I ate lunch with her and the pastor, and she wore little thin brown half high heel shoes. She was supposed to wear this thing for eleven weeks and have months of rehab. Wow. Seven breaks. God mended them. She could walk totally normal. It's amazing. And she had a serious apparatus on. Okay. Take a break, guys. Working too well with you there, Miss Sue. Forgive me. Grace, grace, and more grace. Amen. Thank you, God. So we have the ministry of reconciliation, true? Yes. So we probably, probably would probably have some kind of Encounters talking with people now and then or expressing that to people. So it's probably more than attending church service, right? Yeah. Sounds like it's, it's interactive with people, the Christian life. True? Yeah. Miss Vicki, I think I owe you an apology. I blamed you for this when I came up to my 
podium and saw you weren't in the room, but maybe you weren't in the room on purpose, so I wouldn't blame you for it, but <laughs> they're, they're nice highlighters. They're nice highlighters. <laughs> but the little picture that you can highlight on and test with, and <laughs> I just figured it was you. I said, Vicki? And I went, oops, I think I've judged her. <laughs> Maybe I didn't. <laughs> Maybe my spirit man's sharper than you realize. <laughs> Uh, maybe we already know. <laughs> God knows everything. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I was going to say that pushed to the side. It's not. It's just beginning. No. Uh, so let's go to Luke. Yeah, let's do 10. So we know in Matthew 10... He preached the kingdom, and when it says he preached the kingdom, he healed every sickness and every disease. That's, right. That's exactly how it's, it's Matthew 9, it's like 36 or 7, verse 30, you'll see it there. He preached the kingdom and healed every sickness, every disease. So right on the heels of that, he calls his 12 and gives them power yep. to cast out unclean spirits and heal all kind of disease. True? Mm-hmm. That's Matthew 10. Mark 3 he called them to himself that he wanted that they, and ordained them that they might be with him. And that from that place of communion and fellowship that they'd be with him, he would send them out That's right. to heal. Do you see how every time he sends out, the first thing on the list is to heal? That's right. And people say, well, it's not always about healing. And I'm thinking, you need to talk to Jesus about that. Because the only reason I'm saying it is because I find him saying it all the time. So it's very, but why? Because it's so redemptive. If the fall of man brought this stuff onto the earth and redemption is like the big Holy Ghost supernatural mop that just sweeps the earth. Right? Then healing has to be a part of this word redemption brought back to original value. Right? So it's one of, the, one of the great expressions, truly, when sickness is removed. Jesus came, healed all kinds of people, and it's what he came right out of the wilderness doing right away. Isn't that something? Yeah. Wow. He actually said, the Spirit of the Lord in Luke 4 is upon me to what? Set men free. Well, he's, he's upon me and anointed me to preach the good news, but the good news is to go free. And then he's going to set people free, right? It's a big deal. It'd be good to get in your bedroom when you're alone and nobody's around or walk through your house when nobody's listening because you're just doing it in your own heart and just start declaring and thanking God. Father, I thank you the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I thank you the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right? I'm a tree of righteousness, the planning of the Lord. Through my life you're glorified. Right? It's really good. Father, thank you that my hands are anointed. That, Father, your power flows through me. When I lay hands on the sick, sickness must flee because I'm a believer. And it's the first sign. Or or it's a sign that I'm going to lay hands on the sick and they are going to flee. Or the sickness is going to flee. It's important to get alone and affirm these truths. They come alive in your life. Amen? You'd be amazed when you go out in a restaurant and see somebody hurting and you've been praying that way. You don't have the struggle you would have if you just sat under the teaching 
that you ought to go pray for them. If you just sit under the teaching, you ought to go pray for them. Now you got to fight through everything that's not affirmed and established in you. you got to press through yourself and your flesh and just be a Nike commercial and just do it. But if you spend time in prayer and you're proclaiming and building yourself up in these truths, it becomes more of a spontaneous, natural response. Even though you have a little bit of hesitancy and maybe you're thinking and feeling certain things, you have a greater capacity and grace to move toward them because of what you've affirmed in your life in the secret place. Does this make sense? More, it's important. Or we're just trying to, it's just like this school. You can, you can be receiving a whole bunch of knowledge in this school, and here we are, only got a, a week left next week, and you could have just gotten a bunch of knowledge, but until you apply that to your own life in relationship to God and begin to affirm these things as true in your own life, when are they ever going to become your revelation? Next thing you know, if you don't do that, wow, I've even been through this school and my life isn't, and wow, and, but you're be, being deceived because you haven't been to Him. You follow what I'm saying? Knowledge in itself isn't the answer. It's, it's knowing Him. It's revelation that comes from God. So when you take the truth, so, so we've, we do it this way. A lot of times we'll try to, we, we try to learn what the Bible says and then do it. No, we learn what the Bible says and we become it in our intimacy with God so we're empowered to do it. We listen to sermons and try to apply those teachings to our everyday life. And it's in the flesh a lot of times. It's just me trying to do what I should do. You follow what I'm saying? It's a paradox there. I I was really excited about relationship with God when I first got saved and realizing the blessing of it because when I started hearing teachings on things, I realized I was already moving in this lot of this stuff and I'd already had these kinds of experiences, but I just didn't have a name for it. But the church had names for it and, and, and categories and gifts. Not that it was wrong, but then I, all of a sudden I'm, I realized, wow, I'm not coming in under a teaching and then trying to do this teaching. In relationship, I've already been walking in a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It was just fun. Yeah. So when they explained a word of knowledge, I thought, that's why I had that impression about a man that needed a miracle. That, that was called a word of knowledge. Wow, it's right here in Corinthians, yeah. You know what I mean? Just good. But isn't it sweet that relationship took me there? And I didn't necessarily have the knowledge of what I was doing. It was just all encompassed in relationship. Come on, that's grace. So I didn't have the ability necessarily to even teach what I was walking in in the first year of my life. But I sure had a ton of testimonies. I couldn't break it down for you and teach a school, but I was in fellowship with God and life just was in Him. You follow? It was just neat. There was experiences I had in prayer that started to get taught about. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I found that Holy Spirit is able and willing to lead me in all truth. I would get alone with him and say, Holy Spirit, you're awesome. I've found that he'll teach me. It doesn't mean that we don't need to sit under teaching. Uh, My reliance is on Holy Spirit. Even if a man's teaching, I want Holy Spirit to teach me through that teaching. It says that call no man on earth your teacher, but yet there's the gift of teacher in the Bible. That sounds weird. Here's what he means. Call no man on earth your teacher. You have one. In other words, no man teaches in and of himself. He's not his own resource. 
if any man's teaching, it's because the teacher Christ is... You get it? So there's one source of truth. His name is Jesus. <laughs> and if any man is teaching, it has to be through him. And if it's not, it's very limited. I mean, there's some general truths in life and principles. But what I'm saying is Jesus is the truth, right? Okay. So here he is again, and he's sending out 70 other people. It's amazing. Uh, in Luke 9 he's on the Mount of Transfiguration he talks about taking up your cross and following him if anyone's ashamed of me in my words of him the son of man will be ashamed when he comes to his own glory why? because you just live your whole life hiding, protecting yourself covering yourself, seeking yourself it's just amazing if I tell you truly there are some standing here shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God right after he says that he takes these three fellows up they have the Mount of Transfiguration I'm, I'm just just scrolling through Luke 9 because it says after these things the Lord appointed 70 others. I want you to see what was on the heels or in front of this. It says uh, uh, he took him up on the mountain and, and, and isn't it amazing a voice came saying this is my beloved son hear him. Isn't that amazing? Peter he said it's good to be here. He wanted to make three tabernacles one for Moses one for Elijah uh, dash not knowing what he said God wasn't being rude. While he was talking, God cut him off. He was saying, should we make a, a tabernacle for Moses and for Elisha? And before he got anything else out, God cut him off. Is that in your Bible? Wow. That's amazing. While he was saying this, a cloud came, overshadowed them, and they were fearful, and they entered the cloud. And in that cloud, the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. He's affirming Jesus, and he says, hear him. Everything that Moses and Elijah represented and spoke was pointing to this day. This day's here. Hear him. Wow. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days of any other thing they had seen. Matthew is a neat encounter of the transfiguration. Uh, actually, maybe it's John. Which one is it? Where it says, uh, when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. <laughs> so when they bowed in reverence and fear of the cloud, in the cloud and the voice, there was Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. God came, spoke. When they looked up, it was Jesus. They only saw Jesus, only see Jesus is the point. We hit that pretty hard one day in the school. So I love that one. Okay, so then a boy's healed. I'm in Luke 9, verse 37. I'm just going through my subtitles of the Bible. So there's a boy healed. Jesus predicts his death. Uh, watch this, verse 46 of Luke 9. And a dispute rose among them as to which would be the greatest. Isn't that funny how men think? Which one of us is going to end up rising up and being the greatest out of all of us? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and the good he doesn't just slap us. We'd all have, we'd all have hand marks. <laughs> we'd all have finger marks all the time. <laughs> Look, which one's going to be the greatest? Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart. There's a dispute among them. Who's going to be the hot dog? 
Top dog, hot dog. <laughs> Watch this. He says, he says, he perceived the thought of their heart, took a little child. Oh, Jesus, you're incredible. Isn't it amazing how everything's 180 degrees from what you grew up thinking, saying, and believing? Man. And he said, and this book was written thousands of years ago. And people will just say, well, men wrote the book. You have to be kidding me, right? You can't even possibly believe that. It's so correlated. There's manuscripts that are hundreds and hundreds of years apart, and they just go, oh, oh, my goodness. Watch this. Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is the least among you, who's the least among you, will be the great. Uh, Isn't that something? For he who is the least among you all will be great. Sounds like we're called to just lay down our life and love and stop trying to win a prize or a trophy in a yes. sense of man's view. Now he forbids sectarianism. And, and I, don't, I don't know why this one's never preached. I think leaders, and we're all scared to preach this because of people being islands to themselves. One man shows stuff. Separate. He that separates himself has his own desire, Proverbs says. Isolates himself. I think we're afraid, but we can't deny this is in here and God saw fit to record this. Okay? We saw someone casting out demons in your name, Lord. Now, that's just John saying this. John's the disciple Jesus loved, right? It says, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. And Jesus said, do not forbid him. If he's not against us, he's on our side. He's all alone preaching the gospel. Who knows, when I'm in another state and I'm by myself, I have every right in the Spirit of God to love somebody, to minister, and to preach in an airport, in a mall, in a grocery store. I don't have to be two by two in that case. Do you understand? We're not teaching... We're not teaching outreach. We're teaching an as-you-go lifestyle. We're not teaching ministry organized within the church. Hey, it's good to have accountability go two by two. It's, it's all, I'm not saying there's something wrong there, but when you take that and limit it and forget stuff like this is in your Bible, I'm fascinated by this anyway. Here's a guy, Jesus isn't even crucified yet and raised from the dead, and this guy is walking in a revelation. He's literally, it doesn't say he's trying to cast them out. He's casting out demons in your name. It sounds like he was doing it. If it was some hokey pokey thing, I think they would have acknowledged that. Hey, this guy's carrying some counterfeit thing. He's saying he's casting out devils. There ain't no devils even. Da, 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 and he's misappropriating your name. He, that isn't the story. The story is a guy was moving in authority. And understanding and power. And who is this guy? And he's all by himself. But we've been hurt by things and touched. So we get real and then we'll think, well, yeah, but uh, who's their covering? That one's the one that comes out of everybody's mouth immediately and almost gives us permission to not receive the move of God. 
Jesus very simply said, hey, let this guy alone. If he's not against us, he has to be for us. Come on. You, you, can, you can be in a mall all by yourself shopping because you're catching the sale and it's the last day and you just saw it and you ran in there to shop. <laughs> and you love somebody and pray for somebody because you want to in Christ. You say, well, well, who's given you authority to do this? Well, you shouldn't do this. Well, you're coming outside of covering. Well, you're going to get pummeled for even doing it. Well, this is, you know, there's so many religious weird things out there. And we, we try to pull them out of context as a script. Well, Jesus only sent them two by two. Well, he didn't correct this man, and he was by himself. Jesus was all alone at the well with a woman. Hello? When we get legalistic, there's a time to use wisdom. Of course, wisdom's right. You don't just hang out with women alone. But Jesus was at the well with a woman, and God seemed to make it important enough to record in your Bible. He wasn't just with a woman by the world standards. He's with a woman that was divorced like five times, and now the man she's living with wasn't even her husband. And Jesus is talking... And it looks intimate and personal when his disciples came. They didn't know what they were talking about. And they thought it's strange he's talking with a woman. Is that all in your Bible? Yeah. It said, but no one dare question him. Yeah. <laughs> but but there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a paradox to that. Because then your little crowd. Well, you know, he was talking to that woman. Well, I can't. Well, I ain't asking him. He's just, well, what was he doing? I don't know. But you don't think he shouldn't even been with that woman. Well, why would he be? She was Samaria yet. Yeah. Isn't it amazing, Jesus? So there's things, there's positions I've been in in times where love is your boundary, where you, you, think, you realize it later. The only time I was ever carded ministerially for ordination, ever, I've been in emergency rubber rooms where nobody but the hospital psychiatrist is allowed in there. And I think an angel got me in there because we couldn't even find the man that let me in. Yeah, and after I was in, then the nurses, it's like God just did something to their minds. They were, they were furious that I was in there. And I'm trying to say I'm sorry, I didn't mean this. The, the, the little fella out at the desk brought me. What little fella? Well, man, ma'am, I couldn't find my way in here myself. I, there's no key. I can't get in the door. Someone opened the door. Well, we need to go find this little fellow. Well, he's nowhere. I'm like, God, if he was an angel, let him come back. So, so, so out of the blue, this lady says, well, were you finished with this gentleman or in the middle of something? I said, well, I was in the middle of something. I wanted to stay in there. But I mean, I'm not supposed to be in there. So that's irrelevant. She said, well, I will let you back in. She said, but you have 15 minutes and that's it. And I'll let you finish your conversation out of courtesy. This is a lady that's irate that I'm even in there. Now she's giving me 15 more minutes, but make sure after 15 minutes you're out. And they had me on camera the whole time in there. And that's why she walked by and saw I was in there. And she just come in and, what are you doing in here? Who are you? They got the guy stripped down against the rubber room wall. Suicidal. Jesus let me in there. So then I knocked on the door to leave. 
to let myself out, being courteous, not blowing up my 15 minutes. And the lady that let me out, I told her the story and why I needed to leave, but I didn't want to leave yet. And she said, well, are you finished with this, this gentleman? I said, no, actually, I would love more time, but the lady told me I only have... She said, my goodness, just stay until you're done. So there's all kinds of things, but I didn't even need my ordination for that. I've been certified in prisons, and I know ministers won't understand this. I have never shown an ordination card, and I've been into many prisons. <laughs> so I've never had to use an ordination card in my life. I've been saved 16 years at a full-time level for 14 of those years. And I've been around, trust me, I've been into stuff and places. <laughs> the only time I showed more nation card was to a prostitute. Because she carded me. <laughs> no, there was a lady I was working with, a minister who was doing very well. And I'm at a Sunday night service and I got word that she left where she was and was apparently on the streets. And uh, it hit me so hard, I said, no. And my love for her, knowing she's more than a drug addict, more than a prostitute. I actually left the service. I told somebody at the service to finish. I must find her. And I went to a crack house downtown to find out if she was there and I couldn't find her. So I pulled up to another crack house and I pulled in front of it and I was just gonna walk in it and find her. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon me. I wasn't about anything but finding her. And you're not afraid in those situations, it's just love. And I'm standing there looking and I'm trying to see if I see her and I'm thinking, well, I'm just gonna have to go in. And a lady came to my window, peeked her head in and said, hey, honey, what are you doing in this part of town? And she was soliciting me, and she's a prostitute. And I reached up and grabbed her wrist because I was already, I was already emotional. I was already praying and believing. The Spirit of the Lord was upon me. I reached up and grabbed her wrist and looked at her in the eyes and tears just poured out of my face. And I said, the question is, honey, what are you doing in this part of town? Have you no idea who you really are? And, the, and like a sword, the gospel came out of me. And she began to... And she was just saying, I, I, don't you understand? Blood was shed for you, the blood of Jesus. You're more than a prostitute. You're more than a drug addict. I left her have it, man. And she's like, who are you? And I, I said, just say I'm someone looking for someone. And I said, hey, don't play me. I know you know her. And I gave the name. And she said, well, why should I tell you where she is? I said, I grabbed her arm again because I love her like I love you. I just poured out of my heart. And she said, are you a minister? Are you a pastor? I said, that really doesn't matter. I love her, but I need to know, are you a pastor? I said, actually, I am. Well, to her, her conscience didn't want me. She didn't know. They're so used to mistrust, broken. They're used to people scamming. And, and, and she said, she was trying to find out who I really was. And I said, actually, I am a pastor. She said, well, I need to see some ID. Prostitute! I said, I've never been carted in my life for the ministry. 
And this prostituting lady says, well, I need to see some ID. So I said, I'll do better than that. I won't just give you my ordination card. I gave her my ordination card and my driver's license. Handed them right out the window. She took them in the street light. Like a security at the airport. She said, wow. She said, you are who you say you are. I said, honey, I think that's obvious. That you know I have love in my heart and that I care. I said, get in my truck and take me to her. Now I'm Pastor Dan on a street corner in the city asking a prostitute to get in my car and take me to her. A cynical Christian, a Christian that doesn't believe what I preach, a good-hearted Christian that just doesn't have a strong foundation sees that. And now I'm picking up a woman. Presumption is a serious sin. You say, well, you shouldn't put yourself in that situation, brother. Will you take that up with Jesus? Because I promise you, she was supposed to get in my car. See, we're so busy catering to the weakness of men that we can't even live in the power of the Spirit. She's going to get in my car. God's able to justify me and vindicate me. I am not in the fear of men. I'm in the fear of God. Because we are going to find this woman. So I drive through town. She's taking me and she says, she says, stop looking. You need to be more inconspicuous. Stop being so obvious. You're looking all around. Stop. Just look straight ahead and drive. I'll point her to you when we get there. Because people knew her. They're seeing me. And I said, honey, I stopped living that way a long time ago. I used to sleep around in the dark and live in the shadows. I've come out into the light. I, I was like, I wish you'd follow me. <laughs> and she said, now don't be obvious, but glance your eyes into that alleyway. See those two men? I said, yes. She said, she's working the alleyway. She's in the alleyway. They're lining her up with, with Johns. And oh, I was crying. This stuff happens all the time. And, uh, and it's a compulsion. She's, she's, it's drugs. It's, I'm going to give myself so I can get high and be there because nothing's real then. Uh, I'm telling you, it's supernatural. I turned the corner and she said, don't drop me off here. They'll see me. She'll know I told you. She said, take me in the alley. Yes, ma'am. Now I have a prostitute in my car and I'm pulling in the alley. And there are no street lights. And we parked the car in the alley. She tells me to go up and she got me into the, one of the most darkest, narrowest. It's just back there where nobody can see us kind of place. And she said, can I please have $2 for a pack of cigarettes or something or whatever she said. And I said, honey, I need to talk to you. And she looked at me and I asked her, why are you doing this? And she said, for my babies, for my children. I got babies to supply for. And I said, honey, you can do this, 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 this. You're not doing this for your babies. You're doing this for a habit, for an addiction. I just began to cry. I said, I have to pray for you. She started bawling. Because they're not used to being valued. They're used to pulling in an alley like that. And a man using them for who they are and what they can give. And then get out, you little whatever. 
and even bargaining, bargaining a price. It's real. And you have to be so devalued and dishonored to be in a place like that. And when somebody starts showing you honor in a place like that, it's mind-boggling. She bawled uncontrollably. She started bawling. And she said how I was making her cry the whole time. Why do you keep making me cry? Because truth's coming after your heart. And I grabbed her and I pulled her in my truck to myself and held her. I began to pray over her, rocking her in my truck. Prostitute. Known prostitute to the... And I'm Pastor Dan. <laughs> if I think about that, and I'm, I'm textbook ahead of time. Love is so chained and bound. I am not absolutely at that point not even thinking of presumptuous people. I'm thinking of people desperate to be loved. She got out of my truck. I gave her New Life for Girls phone number. I said, I can't help you, but you can make this phone number. I can't get you in here. You have to want to go in here, please. And... I don't know how she ever handled it. I don't know to this day what's ever come of that lady. But that was the only time I got carded. She said, well, I'm going to have to see some ID. I'm not even sure why I told you that whole story and how I led into that about the ID thing. And the caring for people in their darkest places. You know, I pulled up between... I'll just tell, I wasn't going to tell you the rest of the story. I might as well. Some of you want to hear it anyway. I pulled up between the two men who are dealers. You don't just mess around as a civilian with dealers. And they're out on the sidewalk and they're working this corner. Drugs, prostitution. She's in the edge of the alleyway silhouetted. I wound down my window and they're standing right here where you guys are. I'm parked right here. Looking between them, I said, come here, come to my truck. She couldn't believe I was downtown. She was so convicted that I was there. She's crying in the alleyway because I represent love to her. I represent truth. I represent Jesus to her. Do you know these two guys are there? I said, I'm not leaving. You're coming here or I'm coming in there. Oh my God. She's pointing to the guys. They're talking and they're, it's like they didn't even see me. I mean, they didn't even like, hey, pal, what's your, uh, what's your deal with her? Why don't, man, look, hit the road. What's, what, you a cop? Well, well, then she don't want you. Can you see? Get out of here, man. Nothing like that. I mean, that would have been low level, actually. <laughs> Nothing like that. She comes. I said, get in the car, please. We need to take a ride. You're not taking me anywhere. I just want to talk to you, honey. I'm not here to control you. I love you. We drive down the road, and she's crying. And she says, I'm not going with you. Why? I said, why are you out here? She said, I'm lonely. I said, lonely? She said, a man's going to pick you up in a minute, be sexually gratified by you, and could care less if you're found naked, dead in the alley tomorrow. That's lonely. That's just what I said to her. I said, why don't you come with me? She said, I'm just not ready. She started bawling, uncontrollably hugged me, and get out of the car. I'd love to tell you I pointed at her in Jesus' name and she came back. Uh, but at that time, she didn't. It's not the last I ever saw her or anything. Actually, the last time I saw her, 
was she was unconscious from HIV or AIDS in her hospital bed. And the day before she wasn't quite unconscious, she grabbed her daughter's hand and whispered my name. Said, I want to see him. Please bring him to me. So I got there. She was unconscious. She died two hours after I was there. Loving people. I could be like, God, why, how, why, what's the use? Do you see with that story you have all the more reason to love people? Because of where sin's taking people, blindness, darkness. You see that a story like that isn't a bummer, just bad ending story. It should motivate us all the more reason to love unconditionally and uncompromised. Or we can be, and I'm not being rude, being real, we could be trapped in our own little world, caring about our own little stuff, and not understand our ministry, reconciling the world. That's why we die, to live. Amen? Do you have it? So, I don't know how I get into that whole story, but but hopefully it meant something to somebody and wasn't just an emotional story. It meant something to me because I was that girl. Amen. Um, I was that girl. Yeah. My active addiction took me to prostitution and living on the streets and feeling that, that emptiness and loneliness. Right. And and my mom was you. My mom used to come and find me and drag me in the truck and beg me to stop right. and to get help. And sometimes in that position, you expect your mom to be in that place. So you don't even see it as a sign of love as much as a mother's heart. But after a while, she realizes it's love. Yeah. Um, but And I would say the same thing. I'm not ready because I, I lost my brother, my only sibling. And my addiction and my son's father was also killed. So I was running from my feelings. And right. I, would, I kept telling her, I can't handle the pain yet. So I would do this stuff um, to run from the pain. And right. the, the, I had no love for myself. Like, I just didn't have any purpose anymore. And my disease continued to take control of me, ending up in prostitution and, and allowing men to do stuff to me um, because right. I just I had to get the next one and it didn't matter anymore right and, and you throw um, away hope honor integrity everything it's just survival then yeah, yeah that's and, yeah I learned to survive well here's the deal big time we presume on people in her situation when she's in that that she should know better her mom's been telling her somebody told her and we don't understand what's driving them so love never fails so when I had that lady in my car and she was saying, I don't, you know, you don't understand about the pain. And she was saying that I'm so lonely. And I said, lonely. And then I just kept exposing the lie. I said, honey, every day you're out here, you're adding to the pain. You're increasing the resume of pain. It's a lie. It is never your answer. Can it never be your answer? Nor could it ever be your answer. We love you. We love you. We love you. Please come home. And she cried and got out of my car. And, and walked down the street bawling, bawling. And I just sat, you should have seen me. I sat in my car, not defeated, not, because I understand faith and sowing seed and word. Sat in my car, I bawled so hard. It was intercession for her, I couldn't even drive. And I just sat there and cried and, 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 and just can't even explain to you. 
the heart of God that was in me. Came to a place where I started to pray and decree, and, and it wasn't the last I had seen of her. Uh, she had showed up a couple times and stuff, and then I was out of touch with her for a long time. And I don't even know the end stages of her life. I never asked or tried to find out. I just know that she had found out she had AIDS, and it ended up, that's why she died. It got into her brain and stuff. But uh, So years went by, two, three, four years, where I hadn't even seen her or heard of her. So I don't know that she was using right up that time. I don't know how she was actually doing. But here's the key. When do you stop living by faith? When do you turn off love? When do you give up hope? When do you cut off? You see? Jesus is Lord. So go ahead. Did you have anything else to share? um, That's whenever I hit my total bottom and went to state prison, that's when I surrendered. And I said that I need to find my purpose because I don't have it anymore. And that's when he revealed to me that I'm supposed to help the suffering women um, that have gone through what I went through to get to the other side. And that's one of my biggest reasons of doing the Courage House. Because I am hope. And I did go through that. And I am to the other side. And I know what works. Absolutely. That's that's awesome. (laughs) Come on, God. We commend you. Thanks for your humility and just sharing that. And just because that story can bring hope. It's nothing to be ashamed of because watch. That's that person she described, that wasn't even her. It was a pain-driven person, confused. It wasn't even her. It wasn't even you. So it's nothing to be ashamed of. Shame is a terrible thing. Shame is saying it's still who I am. Shame is actually a confession. It's me. Shame is equal to it's me. You get it? Guilt, terrible thing. Guilt, guilt saying I'm not forgiven. I'm still guilty. Shame, guilt, condemnation, shame. Three major tools of the devil. I've covered it in this school many times. Guilt, I'm not forgiven. Condemnation, my life's worthy to be judged. You don't want that. You need to be mercy, right? Shame, it's still me. So you hide in the dark. And keep in front of you what you did. Identifying you instead of what he did, setting you free and realizing the only reason you did this is because of whatever reason. Pain, blindness, unresolved conflicts. You've left something, take you there. And it's not even you. And all of a sudden the light comes and whoa, what was I thinking? This isn't even me. Amen? So now she has a triumphant message to share to others and say, hey, there's a greater destiny for you. There's a deeper truth about your life than what you're being driven by. This isn't you at all. Amen? So I think that story about picking the lady up and the prostitute was fitting. Oh, that's how I got into it. Jesus at the well with the woman and me picking up a prostitute in my car. I was like, why did I share that story? I almost forgot why. Because the story's pretty moving. But I did get carded. It's just hilarious. Could I see some ID? Okay. <laughs> so here's Jesus. <laughs> no funny, Randy. So who's the greatest? Jesus forbids sectarianism. And there's this man out there casting out demons in his name. And the disciples wanted to forbid him because he wasn't running with them. Wow. Jesus said, don't forbid him. Do not forbid. (laughs) For he who is not against us is what? On our side, for us. Isn't that good? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. And then in verse 51, he went through Samaria. They weren't ready to receive him here, or he wasn't ready to. He had his face set to Jerusalem. So it says they didn't receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So it's like that whole city was shut down at that time right there, just so he, could, he was making time. He was heading. So his disciples saw it and said, man, they're not even receiving you, Lord. Should we command fire to come down on them and consume them <laughs> like Elisha did? Now, do you see where they're getting their thinking? Old Testament, law of sin and death, reaping what you sowed, no mercy, life without the blood, life without a savior, life without hope. Come on. So where were they getting their thinking? Old Testament, right? But Jesus is the new and living way. He's here now, right? Remember, hear him. He turned and rebuked them. And he said, watch what he said. And they didn't say, yeah, but I found it in the scriptures. <laughs> no, he actually said, you don't even know what manner of spirit you are. That's a pretty heavy response. They're walking with Jesus, called out by Jesus, watching Jesus, and don't know what spirit they are. Some of this stuff, we don't get it, do we, right away? This is by Luke chapter 9. I don't know much how long they've been walking with Jesus, but chronologically, but it hasn't been a day or two. You don't know what manner of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to... Destroy men's lives. But to what? And we still define him as a thief sometimes, don't we? <laughs> well, God's doing this. Set me straight. People preach, well, if you find yourself in a body cast, you ought to finally look up and say, uh, you know, what are you saying, God? Because you would hear him saying, did I get your attention yet? <laughs> God's not putting you in your body cast to get your attention. He doesn't break your leg because you took a wrong turn. He ministers truth and wisdom to your life. <laughs> if you broke your kid's leg because they went to the park and you told them not to, so you broke their leg so they can't disobey you anymore, you'd go to jail. Yeah. And rightly so. And they'd take your kids. And we think God's doing that to us. How do we get so weird in our thinking? <laughs> well, God just took them out. <laughs> now it happened as they journeyed on the road, someone said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds noble. We say that stuff a lot. <laughs> he says, foxes have holes and birds have the air, uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he's showing the cost of it. In other words, are you sure you know what you're asking? Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. There's a lot to say about that. That's a pretty intriguing phrase. If I could sum that up without going into some of the cultural stuff that's there. And 
you know, this, some people suppose that he was maybe a firstborn and an inheritance was there. But you have to be careful that you don't read too much into Scripture. But one thing Jesus did say is, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the gospel. What I believe he's saying is, don't let the sentiment of the passing of people bind your life as if you died with them. Physical loss is one thing, but don't die with them and live as if you're dead because they died. He's, you're, he's saying, Jesus is saying, follow me. And they're saying, yeah, but I, my dad died, man. You might be amazed how two years later, people are still crying saying, I never got over my dad dying. That's right. Ten years later, can't talk about it without tears. There's a place to find truth in what Jesus is saying here. There's a place to embrace thankfulness in a bigger picture than their death. And also... Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. That's amazing. There's sentimental attachments. There's human things that are, that are in our life that we have the zeal to run forward, but, 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 and he's cutting those strings. He says strong things. Like, it doesn't mean you don't love the people at your house. But what he's doing is he's trying to get you to live out of the strength of your spirit instead of the weakness of your flesh. And uh, he says, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom. There's a lot of other parables about going into war, counting the costs, looking and seeing if you're able with your, let's just say 10,000 to defeat what seems to be 20,000. There's, there's just a lot of principles about calling peace and truce. There is no peace with the enemy. You can't call peace in the middle of war. Nope. There's no mercy. The devil's not going to say, oh, okay. Well, here, let me show you his peace. In the Old Testament, in Jabesh Gilead, uh, there was some, I think they were Amorites. They came, and these fellows in Jabesh Gilead saw they were stronger than them, believed they were stronger than them, and they said, man, if we fight them, we'll all die. If we fight, we'll all die. Well, we're to love not our own life. So the Amorites, type and shadow of the children of God in adversity. All adversity is coming from hell. Now watch this, in this sense. So the Amorites said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. If you come out and fight, it'll be what it'll be. But if you want to make a, a peace treaty, we'll just gouge out the right eye of every one of your men. And it'll be a reproach to you but at least we'll let you live. Now that's the devil's idea of a plea bargain. You are not in a plea bargain with the devil. Come on, that's right in your Bible. <laughs> Sometimes it's not wrong to fight at the cost of your life <laughs> when it has to do with reproach and let me just take out your eye then because then It'll be a reproach to you and you always see who has the upper hand and, and who took a piece of you and who... There's a message there. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to have your own convictions, your own personal. I'm not pushing strong belief there. I'm just saying there's a real message there. But Saul got wind of it. They came in and crushed those fellows. But who knows those men were going to do that. It says if deliverance didn't show up. There's no mercy in a plea bargain like that. You'd be better off just getting your sword and going out there, and if they kill you, fine. But what do you go out there? You just might win. 
Do you see? It, just, it makes you subservient, vulnerability, bound by your enemy. Some of these things are, they can get pretty aggressive and preach it out. Okay, so no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom. After these things, after the Lord said these things, he appointed 70 others. So it seems like it's on the heels of saying these things. So he was really teaching in these chapters. So when you read your Bible, it's important to read through these stories and understand the heart of God and what he's saying here because it's leading up to something. Do you understand that? It says that on purpose, after he had said these things. So he's leading up to something. He's progressively growing here in revelation, understanding, and imparting to the people. And after he gets to this point, now it's time to send out 70 more. So he appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his, I like that, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is truly great. The labors are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out labors into his harvest field. So Jesus is sharing a principle here that he's addressing and doing something about. So in Matthew 10, he sends out 12. In Luke 10, he's adding 70 more. And he's saying, you know what? The harvest is plenty. There's few labors. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest. Well, he's not going to tell you that if it wasn't the will of God to increase and multiply. So what he's saying is we need the Lord to raise up people that understand it's their calling to go out among people and give the kingdom. That's all he's saying. It's so simple. We've turned it into getting them to pray a prayer and attend our local church. We've reduced the Great Commission in many cases to talking to our neighbor and saying, hey, why don't you just come to church with me on Sunday? It's been really good. And we feel like our job is to get them to church. No. Well, how's things going? What do you mean? She's not feeling well? Can I come in? Let's pray for her. You get what I'm saying? Bringing healing. Bringing encouragement. Praying. Lifting up your voice and proclaiming. The harvest is truly great. The labors are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest. And he would send out labors in his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Wow. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, sandals. Greet no one along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. In other words, you're proclaiming peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. So you get into a house and you proclaim peace to you, so you're making peace the way. If somebody doesn't want peace, who knows they're not going to walk in peace? If they want to walk in obstinance and make that choice, which says your peace will come back to you. But if it's a son of peace, peace will remain. If it's somebody that has a heart to receive peace and make peace. It says, as much as depends on you, in whatever situation, as much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Even if people refuse to let something rest, you make sure you're in peace. The Bible talks in relationships. If an unbeliever just goes on his way and busts out of your marriage and your covenant relationship, it says, well, blah, 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 blah. It says, you know, you're not held in such a matter like that when somebody makes that kind of decision. But it says, but you're called to peace. You're not called to hurt and vengeance. And well, they left me high and dry. Well, I'll never forget the way they hurt me. See, that's common language today. Isn't it amazing? The common language is the total opposite in the Word of God. 
You're called to peace. How do I find peace if my spouse just busted out of the door of me and left me high and dry like that? Because you hurt for them, you cry for them, they're searching, they don't know who they are. They're just like your testimony, it just might be a different action and expression, but the same things are driving men. Mm-hmm. You weep for them in that, and you thank God that you're not alone, and you thank God He does provide, and you thank God the truth hasn't changed. God bless them, not curse them. called becoming love remain in the same house eating and drinking such things as they give <laughs> yeah that would you ought to see the stuff I bump into and people just mean well but they're like they're calling people behind the scenes ahead of time and they're trying to bless them but they're trying to find your favorite meal and have something you really like there. They're going out of their way to bless you. It's like they roll out a red carpet when you're coming. I'm thinking, Jesus told me to take nothing to go and just be happy with whatever they feed me. We ought to just let that happen. Yeah. And here's the wife wondering if it's good enough. Is the house clean enough? Oh, my goodness. This one lady, she just cleaned for three days. Her kids squealed on her. They said, she's been a wreck running around cleaning for three days till you come. And I'm thinking, you're kidding me. Because honestly, she wouldn't have had to clean a thing. She doesn't realize... She's cleaning for the wrong guy. Because I don't even walk in and notice that stuff. It's not, it's because I don't think that way. I don't live that way. I walk in your house and the last thing I'm going to do is scan around your house. It's not even in my, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even, the last thing I'm going to do is notice dirt. You go, my, you can probably do a little cleaning here. You ain't cleaning your, cleaning your own house. Your spirit man's probably a little out of order. The last thing in my mind. Love's not doing that stuff. So if I'm ever coming to your house, please don't clean extra because you're going to do it just to have a cleaner house because it's not going to impress me because I'm not looking for that. I'm really not. I never do. And I am so low maintenance, it's ridiculous. (laughs) I'm clean. You'll just have a clean house. That's fine. But it, but, it, but it won't be on my account is what I'm saying. Sometimes we think it's on the person's account and wonder if they're not even on that page. Yeah. Are you still cleaning too? No, you're not. She is and you're not. Oh, there you go. See, that's good. Clean up after me. Eating, drinking, such things as they give for the laborers worthy of his wages do not go from house to house. What he's saying is, don't pull ship and say, they ain't feed me good enough. I don't like your food, your hospitality. Don't. There's, there's, there's a reason he's saying that, too. I am just thankful. You know what? I'm thankful. I have a place to sleep. Somebody, oh, they wanted me to stay in a house, and they weren't sure. They said, we need to get you a hotel. I said, why? You got all these people in your house. You're all these. And I said, do you understand that I'll sleep on a couch and be totally fine? And they're like, oh, my God, no. I'm like, why can't I sleep on a couch? (laughs) Come on, be real with me. Because some of us are so freaked out about this stuff. We're like, yeah, but you're a guest. But you're the man of God. I wonder what Jesus slept on out there in the Mount of Olives all night or over there. Well, he didn't even sleep. He just sit and pray some nights, probably because there was no soft place to lay. Just stay up and pray. 
no place to lay his head. So don't even give me a couch. Maybe I'll be more spiritual in the morning. I'll seek God all night. <laughs> you ought to give me a big king bed. Ah. You know, there's preachers that request a king bed. God help us. I saw a request once. I'll be careful. You don't get, get, get messed up in your heart with it. But I saw a request once, a king bed for myself and then an extra room and king bed for some other people. And it was like, oh my goodness, special request. You can call that free and you can call me bound, but I couldn't even comprehend that. Just give me a couch. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you. Heal the sick there. Now watch. I'm just going to be plain with you. We've covered this stuff, but I want you to see this. If it was not God's will to heal the sick, He cannot possibly make that comment. It already settles it. The phrase itself is enough. That one phrase right there is all I personally would need. True? Who's he telling to heal? No, but who's he telling to do it? Wow, and you can't heal a flea. What's he saying? And heal. Well, Lord, I can't heal. What do you mean me heal? You see why your identity needs to be secure and your conscience clear? Because he expects you to go and heal. Who's healing? It's Jesus in you. It's the kingdom in you. So if your identity has glitches in it, you're not all that confident he's going to flow through you. You can actually believe it's the will of God to heal and just believe he has trouble doing it through you. That's what identity crisis will do. That's why we don't lay our hands on the sick a lot of times. But does he tell us to heal the sick? There. And say to them, what? The kingdom of God has... Now, people study this stuff out and say, man, you've got to keep this in text. That's an, a, that was just an appointed time. That was just the statement he was making through those 70. Why is he saying the labors are few, the harvest is plenty, adding 70 more and telling him to do something if that isn't his heart to continue? Why is that just a season? How could that be just the order for the day? He said, pray to the Lord of harvest that this thing would take place in a greater measure. What I'm doing right now, you pray the Lord of Harvest that he release this in a broader scale. True? How can we get around this stuff? It's right here. So the kingdom of God has come near you. Whatever city you're in. So heal the sick. Where? Whatever city. So you got to put those two together. So he's telling you, oh, it's right in verse 8. Whatever city you enter, heal the sick there. Am I doing injustice by putting them two together? No. That's exactly what he's saying, isn't he? Yes. So whatever city you're in, he just adds the eating such things are set before you. He's just saying be humble and be thankful and be blessed. And reveal the character and nature of God and thankfulness. But whatever city you're in, heal the sick there. Isn't that awesome? So do we have a green light from the Lord? 
So if you see someone that's sick, do you have scriptural, spiritual release and permission to pray for them if you choose to? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it important to believe it's the will of God to heal the sick? Yes. Yes. So you want to be the best you. You want to approach them. I I, I want to share something here right before the close. I want to get this one thing nailed here. One of the biggest reasons people don't pray for the sick is because they're afraid God won't move. That's even bigger than what the people will think about them. The bigger thing in people isn't what will they think of me, it's wonder if God doesn't show up. I've found in the years of traveling and preaching on this stuff that the number one holdback in people is wonder if they don't get healed. If you're wondering that and you're letting that be your hesitancy and your motive for hesitancy, when are you ever going to get past that? When are you ever going to go in your bedroom and pray enough to come out like phone booth Superman Christian? (laughs) Bring on the world, baby. You are going to be required of faith every step you take. Your mind is going to try to play tricks. Your emotions are going to try to speak to you. You're not going to go pray long enough in your bedroom to come out and just be caped SC on your cape. Super Christian. Look out world, here I come. You're going to find that every time you approach people, it's faith working through love. Faith working through love. Sometimes you feel more confident than others. Sometimes you see more than you see other times. Sometimes I tell people, let's pray. That's coming out of you. And I say it real aggressive and strong. And bam, it just happens. I'd love to just say that, but I don't find myself doing that every time. Not trying to figure that out. I'm just going with the flow and I'm growing up in Him. If I turn that into a, uh, if I turn that into a technique, then I'm going to start saying it because that's my desire and I'm going to make the declaration and it ain't going to happen. It's not a technique. It's not a textbook. There's just things you grow in. Confidence. I go with my heart, not my head. I flow with my heart. You see what I mean? But here's the deal. It's about loving people. It's about making contact. It's about sowing seed. We have all these things. Well, I don't want to misrepresent the gospel. Well, if they're not healed, they're going to be even more let down. Well, I'm going to make the kingdom look bad. I hear people say all that stuff. Those people are going through their day shopping. They don't have a hope. They're not even thinking about being healed probably. And they sure aren't expecting you to come up and pray for them probably. You're opening a door that wasn't even there before. You're showing them something they weren't even considering. You're, You're showing them a love that's unconditional. You're showing them a love that's sincere for their sake. You're sending a message to them that ought to be sent to every human being. That ought to be the priority of our motivation. And through that love, faith works. Now, when I pray for the sick, I'm not intimidated and thinking, wonder if they don't get healed. This is not a cop-out. I don't even preach on this stuff a lot because people turn it into a Christian language and cliche instead of a faith from the heart. But I'm believing if I lay my hands on the sick, they recover. I'm not moved anymore. I used to. I used to get a little, uh, because I want everybody. Who wants everybody just healed? I want everybody just healed. But I can't tell you how many people I've seen be healed in a process of actually short time when it looked like maybe nothing happened. But if I can cross this hurdle and stop letting that shake me and unplug... 
I'm going to stay plugged in and God's going to keep moving. And it teaches me even how to live by faith. I tell the story all the time of the fibromyalgia or the uh, plantar fasciitis thing where I prayed for all these people in services. And I, I was thinking, man, that thing don't stand a chance to, in front of the gospel. We know all things don't, but some stuff you just see bow and bow. I had never seen uh, plantar fasciitis not healed in a person in a service. And then I hit a couple right in a row and I seen them healed and healed. So I bump into a lady out in the store and she tells me she has it. Well, what am I thinking? Woohoo! I pray for it, nothing changes. Yeah. I'm like, Duh! everything changes in these services, plantar fasciitis. I'm out here praying for you and it doesn't change. I'm thinking that has to come out. And I'm a little aggressive, honey. Listen, and I told her the story and the testimony. She said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you again. Prayed for again. She, no. she did one of them like, that was sweet though. Thanks for trying. I'm like, thanks for trying. <laughs> ah, I was like, you know, if you're living in the flesh, it's like, thanks for trying. Like I'm trying to find a rabbit in a hat. Yeah, appreciate the magic show. Sorry, there wasn't a whole lot of magic. That's how it felt, man. It was serious. So I'm like, done. I had to get a grip on myself. Who knows your mind wants to... And I'm reminiscing, I'm thinking of people that I've seen, and yet this lady, oh, and I had to watch her, and it just, oh, who's ever felt that way? You just have to watch her walk away like she was walking before. So I bump into a man a couple days later. Man, what's wrong? Do you hurt your feet or something? Oh, it's this thing. They just told me I plan our face. Yes, I'm like, I have a score to settle with you. That's all I'm thinking. Can I get on your feet? No. I just stay there. No, but I talked to him. I said, listen, man, I, and I told him, and I just pray, pray for him. Guess what happens? Check your feet. No, they hurt. The same. They hurt. Just, I'm probably like, the same. They hurt the same. Like the thinking he's lying or something. You just don't want to believe. You know? No, he says, I didn't say that. I'm just, I'm in my mind. There's a war going on in my mind. And I said, can I just pray again for you, sir? I see this healed a lot, and I know Jesus loves you, man. And I always bring it back to God loving them. It's not just that Jesus healed this a lot. Because you can get off on that, and that can just be your track record. Now you're pushing the weight of your track record onto an individual that he loves. That's not what makes them healed. What makes them healed is that he loves them like he's loved everybody else. And it's God for them, loving them, I mean. So I prayed again, nothing. Now I'm going to my car thinking... What's going on with this? Wow. And I think it was a month and a half, two months. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. It was, a, it was a period of weeks and weeks and weeks. I bump into the lady. She's all excited, glad to see me, was wondering if she'd ever bump into me again and who this man was that played, prayed for her feet was kind enough to, even though thanks for trying. She went to bed that night, woke up in the morning. It's the worst in the morning in most cases. You can't even get moving. She woke up and found herself in the bathroom and didn't even think about walking. Because there was nothing. And had never been nothing from that moment till we were talking. It's not an accident. Three, four days later, I bumped into the man. The same exact testimony. Now, I could put my mind through hell. I'm not in faith. I don't have enough of Jesus. Yeah, lost my anointing. No, 
I didn't think that ever, Martha. <laughs> People say that stuff. People say that stuff. You just, you just walked out of your anointing, brother. You just ain't got what you got. No, they're mind games. And in that mind game, you risk turning faith into a point in time or a hit, miss, win, or lose. All of a sudden, faith's a gamble. Either we get it or we didn't. Here's how Holy Spirit's defined faith to me concerning healing. The positioning of your heart to receive what He accomplished. Period. The positioning of your heart to receive what He accomplished. So when I pray for her, even though I want her jumping around dancing... Who knows I want her doing that. That would be awesome. We get to see that. When she doesn't do that, who knows the truth hasn't changed. What we do is change the truth to accommodate our miffed minds. And then we never get locked in. Now I can't, I can, I, I still probably more rhetorically, I'm being humble and very vulnerable here, probably rhetorically talked to them and just said the right things that I teach because I'm taught to say those things in the sense of teaching, I know. But I, I can tell you I wasn't hooked up. I was just, it was bothering me. And yet God in his mercy fixed these situations and caused me to bump into these two people simultaneously and they both had the same report. Now that was Jesus speaking to me. I would, I would have to put you on a microphone if you have a question, just because of the school. Yeah. So, so, who knows that you have to be careful to stay sincere and believe for right now, and you want that healing now. But you can't fight over it. You can't fight over that in your mind. You have to, because rhetorically, I probably said something like this to them. Well, listen, God bless you. I'm glad we prayed because God changes things. And unless we release faith, nothing happens. And it says if you lay hands on the sick, they recover. And they're like, okay, well, thank you. And as I'm leaving, I'm telling them that because I'm believing I should tell them that. But I'm not sure I'm even believing that at that time. You see what I mean? So it becomes rhetorical is what I mean. It becomes Christianese. You have to be sure that when you tell somebody that, you totally believe that. You can give her the mic. Do you see what I'm saying? So, and that's what I'm trying to explain, and we can cover this more. This is just a quick question, but it's from the other side, uh, from the point of view of someone that needs healing and is believing for healing, and people have prayed. I'm just believing when, Lord, not if, but I haven't seen it yet, and uh, neither has my daughter in, in her body. Okay. So we each have need of healing and, and she's going out healing people but she herself right. needs healing I never reduce it to when because then you're putting it on a time frame that's already established no, now is the time now is the day it's not a question it's just a no, matter no what I'm it's, saying is it's going to happen in, I understand no, follow my point I don't reduce it to a when because there's uh, the application of faith is through love it's relationship so if I have something in my life that hasn't changed but I've settled the will of God and I'm still seeing people healed I'm not waiting for that day and I'm not even locking myself into some point in some time. I'm just going to be in relationship with God and I encourage everybody to do this always. Father, your love for me is right in the middle of a pain, right in the middle of a symptom that's recurring, something you've been prayed for a hundred times and you get out of bed and that thing is still there. And as soon as you feel it, you just lift up your heart. Father, I so thank you for your amazing love for me and your grace upon my life. God, I'm absolutely convinced that you love me and are for me. You're the strength of my life, or Jesus would have never died. You, 
and you walk in that place. You see what I mean? And there is a place for us to keep growing and to continue to pray, believe, receive all things. So I don't encourage people to just get in a position where they're waiting or where they've established a faith and now I can't be prayed for anymore. You can be prayed for. Just make sure that you are guarding your heart that it's in, in faith and you don't get just reduced to desperation. And, because that's the biggest challenge when it's longevity, when it's ongoing. Because your mind becomes a detriment. Well, I've been prayed for a hundred times. If it didn't happen by now, that's why we shift gears then and change. But isn't it amazing when you open this book, everything's still the same. So what do we have to truly lock into? What is the only consistent thing of this situation? The word. So that's how we, that's how we handle that. So we invoke relationship, continuing to believe. But I've had a lot of people say, when you do it, uh, when you do it, Lord, I'm ready. Hey, when, all, you know, whenever you do it, Lord. But I, I encourage people to get more matter of fact in that. In other words, today is the day. Father, every day, as if it's the first time you've prayed. And Father, I thank you that you infuse me with strength today. Pains, you get out of my body. Body, you be filled with the life of God right now. Father, thank you for the finished work of Christ. And you begin to speak life, proclaim it, and receive it. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Do you see what I'm saying? Because I've watched people put it off and it becomes more of a, as much as they need to be free because this thing's costing them, it's more of a casual than confession. Well, whenever God's ready. And after a while, it's like, uh, ready already? Whenever God. And it's not a whenever God. It's never a whenever God situation. It's us seizing things. But it's us speaking to the mountain. It's us growing in a place where uh, you, you don't, there could be many factors and little reasons to say why doesn't it happen is not even a fair question. It could be different in 10 different situations. Knowing the truth and camping there is where freedom comes from. Trying to figure out all these other things probably isn't, because then we'll put each other in boxes, we'll write books, how I got healed. And then everybody will try to follow what you did to get what you got. And that might not have anything to do with your soul, your life, and where you're at. But we do all have the common denominator, his name is Jesus. So, and I'm gonna close, I have to close, because it's 10 after. That was kind of a big question at the end of the class, so I couldn't, I just tried to hit it as sharp and quick as I could. Did, is it okay for you to settle it in your heart good? Because I felt, when you asked the question, I said, oh dear Jesus, because I looked at my watch, I was like, oh God. <laughs> no, those questions actually are, they're not hot potato questions to me, they actually open a big door of truth for me. I, I actually, I'm never challenged by those questions. They're, they're important to ask because they're out there. They're common, I found they're common. But sometimes I like to answer them a little broader than I did. What I'd like to do, we're going to close. You just heard what she said. We're in this school. She said, me and my daughter are both going through things we haven't been here. How about a couple people addressing that, surrounding them and believing Jesus with them right at the end of this class, okay? Speaking life over them. Willing to do that, a couple folks? Father, we just thank you. Can we stand to our feet? Let's just uh, be back in tomorrow. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for these highlight markers. We thank you for the, the... Father, we thank you for the kitty picture. We thank you that cats are amazing. <laughs> Ask any Vietnamese person that's eaten them in chowder. No, I'm kidding, Vicky. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh,
Serious, serious cat to amazing. I saw a video once. The lady came and she just, it was a real video. It was a documentary. It was Discovery or something. Different cultures, Vicky. Different cultures. They, she utilized the kitty. She, and a chihuahua on the same video. So it was sad. Really, it was sad. Oh, where'd that come? Cast it out of me, Vicky. Oh, is that on film? Oh, God. Irretractable. I'd try to start over, but I'm afraid where we'd end up. Father. (laughs) Seriously, seriously, if that's possible. It's not. Father, thanks for everything you're doing. I am undone right now. (laughs) I'm very silly. But thank you. You're bringing answers. And even in real situations like over here, there is truth. There is a way to see and believe and receive grace. And Father, we thank you. What you did, you did. And we thank you. You're bringing great change to our lives. So we contend for it. We believe for it. We're not striving except to enter into your rest. And from that place of you loving us, we win. And I thank you for the victory. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Yay. So good deal.